It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 from an invisible firebird here in 2023. I think it's a firebird. It might be a thunderbird. I'm not sure. Uh, but with me today... Do you think uh, they know? They don't know. <laughs> from your favorite podcast about the film registry, it is... Uh, oh my god. Uh, I was literally like, I had this in front of me so that I didn't make this mistake. Did You're you? Missing Out Podcast. Okay. Mike Natale. Tom Lorenzo are here surprisingly for the first time to talk about 1992. Um, there, there is a, a whole plethora of films that you guys have your names on my list next to, just to be clear. So we will get to talk about, I don't know, I, I think it was um, Universal Soldier, if I'm not mistaken, Tom. That you, oh, well, yeah, because uh, I, did the, I yes. did the sequel. So, yeah, and, and I Mike, come back to that. You want to talk about when babies get big, which is totally fair. Sure. I mean, it's not. That I don't, is certainly I, that, a way to put it. Framing is real odd. Um, you know, when they blow up a baby, we're starting. We're starting great. We are. Listen, I, I'm a little punchy. I've been doing some weird fall cleaning in my apartment, so I'm a little bit. But uh, we're talking sleepwalkers today. Um, yep. We're talking about one of Stephen King's like original screenplays maybe one of his only original screenplays if i'm not mistaken like did not um, come from anything he had written before does he have another one the that I'm... first well i know off the top of my head this is the okay. first movie he wrote specifically as a movie not based on a story or a short story Correct. or whatnot um i i saw in my research like there was some yeah. weird ass fucking like cbs show that was kind of like an sure. original thing before this 
But yeah, this was the first uh, real go at it as a screenwriter. And guys, I got to say, knocked it out of the park. <laughs> he is so, in a scene with Clyde Barker. Sorry, I mean, that, that, that's should something. we should we is it OK if we, you know, if we pull back the curtain? We were discussing this before we got on Mike, but is it OK if we pull back the curtain and explain Please. how in God's name we wound up talking about this? Right. Well, um, I, I, listen, I know what happened. Listen, well, but I want to listen. Mom's I, not home. So Phil has the house to himself. So he invited the two kids on the block that go to a trade school and can get natty ice. And they decided to watch weird horror it, movies. I mean, listen, that's time, not not right. The <laughs> amount of times we have compared ourselves to Phil's friends from town that go to a trade school is troubling. Um, okay, so you mentioned like this is the first time we've done 1992. And that's true. Um <laughs> For a while, you know, what we were doing and how we were talking, you know, for no particular reason was a little touch and go. Uh, we don't need to get into it. Uh, it was like when the minions wound up in that cave for like 40 years and minions were like, we just don't want to deal with this. So they just missed a lot of history. That was it. We just missed a lot of history. Um, but nevertheless, you reached out and you're like, guys, let's do it. Right. Let's talk about something. And you sent us a list of five titles. Uh, I did. Because you said, you know, Emily's not going to be here. You guys should come on for that. And then clarified, that's not like I'm saying that, you know, I don't want you there when, when Emily's here. It's just that we have, it's just let's do it. So you sent us five titles. Um, and I think it is fair to say, it is fair to say, we, you, you weren't, the list of titles were not amongst perhaps... Okay. So most can I defend story. myself a little bit here, Mike? Just oh, because I, sure. I know I, there's nothing to defend. I, I think it's a smart call. I, so here's, for, I'm going to pull back the curtain as you, the aforementioned curtain that you mentioned earlier, Mike. So, you know, for listeners, as uh, you know, listen, these are all recorded out of order. So who the hell knows when this episode is going to drop? But at a certain point, you know, during our podcast, we made it clear that Emily and Libby got staffed on Yellow Jackets, which is amazing. And, and I could not be more thrilled for them. They also have an infant. Mm-hmm. Could not be more thrilled for them. Emily Is that also infant has going to get big, and can Mike watch? <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen, fair. I mean, yes, she will get big. No, Mike cannot watch. Um, so, what happened was, and then on top of everything else, Emily has two books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Emily is just spread very thin right now. Um, Boo hoo! But no, for real, she's very busy, and that's great. So I suggested to her. I'm going to take a, a, a group of films from 1992 that I'll do alone. Um, movies that, quite frankly, she was not all that particularly interested in talking about, shockingly, um, or just felt rookie, like rookie she moves, didn't have a rookie move, didn't have a ton to bring <laughs> to the table. So she was like, we kind of we went back and forth and we came up with like kind of a batch of films. I sent that batch of films to you guys. Now, admittedly. These are not top tier movies. These are not the top tier <laughs> 1992 films. And I, I don't want you to think less of that. But here's no. the other thing, too. And I know you're going to think this is a backhanded compliment. It's the truth, which is that I enjoy talking about dog shit movies with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, every now and then we talk about great films, too. You know what I mean? We've talked about mm-hmm. some, some really good movies, too. Um, but I just felt like you guys were the right guys to come on to talk about these movies and we'd have a good time talking about it. So I hope that's okay. Oh, of course. I just want to clarify, by the way, I think, you know, the other element of that, of course, that I, mm. I felt when I read those titles yes. was that, you know, you look at all of those yes. and uh, like a river runs through and all that. And I do think, you know, cause Tom and I both work as journalists, right. Mm-hmm. And we know that like, oftentimes your editor will turn around and like, if you write a piece that like 
generates a lot of angry comments or generates a lot of tension in the email, they're going to go, all right, let's pull back the throttle and let's just try like a non-controversial topic. Hmm. Our last meeting may be a bit tense. So I, I looked at that and I went, oh, this is smart. There's no chance that we're going to get on here. And just so going, how dare you besmirch? I mean, this a is, river this... runs through it is powerful. Like it's not, it was, it was I mean, strange. here's the other thing too. Which is that, like, so I had never seen Sleepwalkers before. Mm-hmm. I, I had I had my my notions about this film just based on what I had sort of gleaned about and this movie. They were not you even can't... close to what you could have expected. Okay. They they, they kind of weren't. If I'm being completely yeah. frank, like I th- this is not really what I thought it was going to be. I but rewatched I... this shit last week, and when it <laughs> ended, I was just like, "Oh my god! I wish I could have been in the room with Philip Iscove as he, he was... watched this." <laughs> They're illusionally deranged, horny, weird fucking cat people movie. I mean, I it mean, is this, a, this, this watch Paul Schrader's cat people and was like, hold my saucer of milk. I mean, the weird part of it for me, and we'll unpack this further, but like, is this one? The, no, there's a lot, but like the tone of this movie is so fucking strange. Like, I really don't really know that they know like i don't know that anyone knows what kind of movie they're making well listen here's the thing that i feel like we need to get out of the way up front which is um that mick garris is a terrible filmmaker (laughs) and i don't i i hate saying it like that because i said it to friends that i know in the industry that like know him because he's a nice guy. I listen to his podcast. He's a great interviewer. He's, you know, sure. he's a great producer doing Masters of Horror, what, like 15 years ago and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, like all the work he's done behind the scenes and all of that, more power to him. Love the guy. Sure. But Jesus Christ, I've seen a bunch of his work and it is, when this is, and I'm not even being funny, like this is by far the best movie he's ever made. The best thing he's ever made. Well, what's what's strange about what you're? I, I agree with you 100. percent But also is that Stephen King. So originally, this film is is offered to Rupert Wainwright to direct, and Stephen King specifically says, "Fuck that guy! I want this guy. I want the guy I want that the did guy who Psycho did Four too. and Critters Psycho too. Four and Critters Two. Like yeah. this is the guy." And And the crazy thing is he comes up with that idea of like, well, the idea of this movie, but also let's get the Critters 2 guy. And this is in his cocaine era. He's clean. He's sober as a fucking bird. Yeah, but I I think that's that's crazy. I think that with this, because I think because Tom, huge Stephen King fan, unabashedly. I I want to talk about that too. Yeah, I I less so because my attitude on Stephen King Mm. is similar to this film uh is emblematic of my attitude on stephen king okay which is i truly believe i truly believe that stephen king Mm. would be not just amongst the general public but even among like literary scholars would be considered one of america's great writers were it not for the fact like we're all writers here you know to one degree or another Every one of us has a notebook full of potential screenplay ideas or novel ideas, right, that we jot down. And there's a number of them that like a week or two later, like we look at and go, I don't know if this is working. Or we share that idea with somebody and they go, I'm not sure about that. 
Stephen King achieved such success so quickly that I that it all goes to print, and like there's there is an apparatus around that knows that like his name on something will sell, mm-hmm. and I think that there's so many kind of mid tier things that he does that diminish the brand right like Mm because you go back and you read carrie right well so and it's like that's it that's undeniably like that should be in the conversation of like one of america's great horror works this is like this is like this is actually the the end of his first run of delivering great work he had a run start you know he came out of the gate with carrie and then he went on an insane run through all the, you know, we made the joke, but like through all the drugs and alcohol yeah, issues, yeah, he yeah. put out banger after banger, a misstep here and there with some bullshit like the Tommy Knockers or whatever. But up until I was bring 19... up Tommy Knockers specifically, yes. Well, yeah, that is the worst in that run. That's like his memoirs of an invisible man. But um, you know, up until '92, when he in the same year he does Gerald's Game and Dolores Claiborne, and you go. This guy still got it. Okay, great. I just and pause then, you for one that, for one quick second, Tom, just for what it's yeah. worth, because it's funny that you said Memoirs of an Invisible Man, because we literally had the King Cast guys on for Memoirs of an Invisible Man a few weeks ago, um, <laughs> which I think is just hilarious that that just that confluence. But I, I I also just wanted to say, and then I'll I'll let you finish. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'll just say oh, I read my my first Stephen King book. I've never read any of his books before because uh, spoiler, I was a big baby. I know both of you know that I'm a big scaredy cat. Um, so while all my friends were reading all the Stephen King books in high school, I was off. I don't know doing other things uh, that didn't scare me. So I really. I have lots of friends who are really big fans of his and I've seen a lot of Stephen King movies, but I never actually sat down to read one of his books. And I read 112263, um, which might be one of the best books I've ever read. And I'd say that with, with wholehearted. I mean, it is, it is a, it's a fucking stone cold masterpiece. Um, And as I was reading it to your initial point, Mike, I was reading it. And as a writer, putting my writer hat on, just being like, this guy fucking understands how to write books that are propulsive books that have heart books that are scary books that are hard. Like it's just, he's really just firing on all cylinders in that book. I'm sure that he's written books that are not as good, but it's like, as a writer, you're just, I was just truly just fucking blown away by it. I think that kind of plays into what's going on with this movie because he is such a good writer. And yeah, after this, he starts dropping books that are, bad or forgettable or whatever but i think honestly the was kinda... this after the car accident i'm trying yeah, to remember what this was before the car accident was okay. 99 so okay. i mean the, the car accident leads into another string of like right. bad Cause, books like because he's hooked um, on painkillers right well he's hooked on painkillers but he also wrote fucking um dream catcher in the sure. hospital and so <laughs> yeah so Dreamcatcher, like, uh, everyone's favorite book about butt aliens right well, because he said, like, I was in the hospital and I was having digestive issues and I just thought, what if my shit was an alien? And it's like, all right, Steve, enough with the perks, bro. I think like, that I'm underlines not... Mike's point of this is... maybe someone should say no. But That's, I think, but is, I think yeah. the big problem is, is that he writes Christine <laughs> and Christine is a great book. Legit, it's probably my in my top five of his books he's written. And it's a stupid fucking idea. Yeah. What if my What if my hot rod was possessed by a demon and it turned my and turned a nerd into mm. like a greaser from 
you know, like the fifties, and like you just go, what, what, what is this? No, no wonder you find out the guy was fucking doing eight balls in every fucking five well, minutes. And it's, but it's also this thing of like, honestly, um, and Phil, I obviously I don't know like the breadth of like everything you've gone through in your career. I can only speak to myself and and what I know, you know, what sure. Tom's gone through. But I'm sure you've gone through it to to one degree or another, which is as a creative person, right? Uh, one of the things that overcoming a fear of rejection is obviously important, right? Sure. But you still need to have a little bit of kind of fear of rejection because okay. otherwise yeah. you're just going to think every idea is great. And the Absolutely. worst thing is, I know, you know, as from a journalistic standpoint, Tom and I have both gotten into positions where the people who are supposed to be our overseers, our editors, mm -hmm. the people who maybe push the stop button, stop pushing the stop button and kind of just go whatever you want to do. Yep. And it's it's never been something so destructive. It's never, but it, like, you know that feeling. And like Tom and I have talked about it a number of times where like we look back on some of the things that we did or we wrote and got published and went, oh, I, somebody probably should have stepped in at some <laughs> point, right? And I think yeah. that King's issue is yeah. that he is an industry, right? He's too big to fail, yeah. Despite yeah. being a gifted writer. And it's like you know it's almost but, the george lucas problem of like that's, that, that, that's why i'm saying that's why i'm saying christine is kind of the the thing that made him yeah. think he can do anything because he had a great run up until christine and even asked the christine but everything in this run you yeah. understand like as a story it's not so crazy out there but Was christine Cujo after christine Cujo is after Christine, yes. Cujo yeah. is the book he doesn't remember writing because he was so coked out of his mind. But the other um, thing, too, that's worth yeah. noting is everything that has his name attached to it sells. And that's why I'm talking yes. about the brand thing, sure. right? Is like, yeah. regardless of whether it's good or not, right? Um, and we see this a lot, I think, in, in the film industry in general now sure. is how many, like, filmmakers, right, um, get to the point where, like, they get attached to a million projects and they're all like IP projects because it's just like, well, you're, you're a brand and you have everybody around you is telling you, yeah. this is, this is the next great idea. You're the perfect guy to do this. You're great. They don't have anybody saying no. Um, and Can in I, the case of King, like it kept making money. Well, I, I think that there's also, I agree with you. And I kind of want to add a caveat to this as well, which is, um, and I say this with all due respect, because as I just said before, I think Stephen King has the potential to be a truly brilliant writer. Um, he's not a great screenwriter. And no, screenwriting is very he's terrible. It's very different than writing a novel. Yeah. Um, and he's also not a good director. From what I've heard, Maximum Overdrive is not very good. Oh, um, it is Sleepwalkers level delightful. <laughs> I, Phil, I, I need I, you to know one person on this call literally owns a piece of maximum overdrive oh shit i'm not joking wow it's not me oh, but somebody uh, has is... as, oh, do you say do you have it on hand i yep. one year this? for tom's birthday oh wait this is coke i'm kidding, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> one year for tom's birthday i found this i didn't know this existed so you, the giant green goblin head on the front of the truck uh -huh. in maximum overdrive uh -huh. So they were doing repair. Somebody owns it and they were doing like kind of repairs and buffing sure. on it. Sure. And they were like, well, I actually took all the shavings from it. Right. That came off during the buffing that are like uh -huh. a piece of this truck piece. And I put them all in this vial. Someone's going to want to own it. And I agreed. Someone was going to want to own it. So I just bought it for him. That's uh, lovely. That's very yeah. sweet. I, I mean, I, 
I think that Stephen King, first of all, I agree with everything both of you are saying. As a person who is not a Stephen King aficionado, so from the outside looking in, I think that he has a, you know, I literally just watched Shawshank Redemption for my AFI movie club with friends the other night, and it's an unimpeachable masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. I have not read the source material, but I think that he his stuff has the potential to be adapted into some of our greatest films, right? It's also but, adapted to some of our worst tough. films, right? They're, they're hard to because, make. Cause it, it, with him, it's about the voice. He's got a very distinctive voice. And sure. this movie wants is it's trying to catch, yeah. capture that voice. It wants to have that, like, yeah. you know, kind of main small town, whatever mm-hmm. kind of feel to it that, you know, earlier movies got, you know, like a Christine mm-hmm. or a Shawshank Redemption or what movies later, Dr. Sleep, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Misery, all that stuff. Yep. Um, but when you don't get the voice right, it's everything else just kind of falls apart because narratively, you know, I don't think he's bad narratively, but you know, his, the biggest knock against him has always been, he doesn't know how to end a story. So that's always a problem when you're trying to adapt the thing. Which so they with say him, it's how the, many times in the it movies, which I watched recently, my God, they say, well, it because like, you, you literally cannot do the ending of the book unless you want to get put on a registry. <laughs> and not I'm the not national. No, 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 not the national <laughs> film registry. No, 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 I, no. I, yeah. it's it, it's weird that's why there's really i mean there's been good filmmakers but there's only been three filmmakers that get stephen king that are like the stephen king whisperers you got rob reiner frank darabont and mike flanagan other people have come in and made good don't don't you give me that fucking look young man Tom, i don't who are you no, i'm talking to phil, phil. oh I'm still over here laughing about the National Film Registry, Sex Matter <laughs> Registry thing, because I'm just picturing the inducted movies having to go house to house and just go, hi. I, hi, so- I'm 1990s house party. I have to let you know that I've moved into the Library of Congress. Hello, just, I am the usual I, suspects. <laughs> That's I not in yet. I agree with you that it's it's a very specific thing. Um I I do think that one of the mistakes that seems to be made too is they kind of, the adaptations get, can get too hung up on the mythology, um, which I don't think is, is King's strongest suit. So like, I think ones get hung up on being too faithful. Well, even, I would even just, I mean, even the Castle Rock TV shows, even 11, 22, 63, which I couldn't even finish. I mean, these are just uh, like, well, Castle Rock's its own weird thing that could have been good, but, they they weren't they didn't even feel like King because even King's craziest shit like the Dark Tower books are never that densely mythological and right. so much about the mystery box. And then eleven twenty two, I mean, it could have been good if it wasn't for Franco. Honestly, I think Franco I was think the, the biggest problem of that movie. Direction. I mean, I mean, I never finished. Either. I never finished it because I just couldn't deal with Franco in the role. But yeah, I mean, I think I think the biggest problem that King adaptations face is they. The ones that work know how to change things. Shawshank is better than the novel, the short story, the novella, because Darabont makes smart changes. Um, the Mist, cha- I mean, the sure. you know maybe the biggest yeah. change of all time that everyone's like, oh sure. yeah, th- this is better than the book. Doctor Sleep makes changes. Then you look at maybe the most egregious example of trying to be too faithful to the book, the Shining miniseries that he does a few years after this oh, with God. again Jesus Mick Garris. They when you get too stuck on the to the letter of the law with Stephen King's work, if you go beat for beat, 
it's not gonna work. His stuff is so novelistic and so you know things that are okay in a book. You know, he he, w- he does some weird shit. Sometimes I was gonna it just say, doesn't translate to the screen. I think that's the big thing, Tom, and I, I agree with you there that like Stephen King stuff works on the page, right? And not even just the big stuff, right? Like a, a common complaint about King, um, when you watch like his stuff as movies is. And I, I was I rewatched Sleepwalkers. Yes, I've watched it twice in a week because I hate myself. Because uh, my my significant other had never seen it, and we have a cat. And I was like, I promise you, you don't understand how cat heavy this movie is. Like, you are it's... not prepared for who the hero of this film is. Um, so, Clovis, baby. so yeah. So we sat and watched it, right? And I and we're watching it, and it's like all of these early '90s teenagers listening to like 50s doo-wop right but i'm saying like listening to 50s doo-wop and i'm like and she goes huh weird i'm like you need to understand this is his thing like a fundamental issue with stephen king is that he grew up in like the 50s 60s and no matter when the book is set teenagers live and act like in a book you can buy that right like christine like because the actual cognitive dissonance of seeing everybody dressed like the eighties or nineties listening to yeah. do it. You don't have that. But when you're presented with it on screen, it feels like you're watching the nineties Brady bunch movie, right? Where you're like, you don't, <laughs> none of you teenagers care well, about this stuff. You know, what's interesting about what you're saying, I agree with you hundred percent is, you know, the match and Amic component of this, my brain immediately goes to twin peaks. Right. Mm-hmm. And, David Lynch also does a very similar thing. But when David Lynch does it, it feels obviously sort of dreamlike, nightmarish, yeah. kind of, you know, it's 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 a tweaking yeah. of reality. This whereas, is not doing that. No, whereas with King, it's super grounded, and it's just like yeah. they just happen to really like this music. It doesn't really yeah. make any sense. It, he, it, it wants to have it both ways. It wants yeah. to be... Uh, yeah, I mean, because that's, again, that's the thing about The Voice. His stuff is so much about what if... Like the real world got you know blown up by some crazy yeah. thing. Like okay, I'm I'm a kid and my car is possessed. Or <laughs> you know, oh I'm a writer and I get kidnapped by a psychotic fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a clown in the sewer. Like okay, like mm-hmm. it's all this shit of trying to really like he doesn't really do fantasy a lot, other than the right. Dark Tower and uh, this book, The Eyes of the Dragon, which is kind of tied into. Well, fairy tale, um, which I actually bought, well, and I'm going to read. Yeah, fairy tale, fairy tale, but fairy tale is kind of doing what I'm saying he does because mm. that's very much about the real world, and it's almost like an Alice in Wonderland, yeah. a Wizard of Man Oz loves a of portal, thing. loves a portal. He loves a listen. He loves a portal. He loves a door. <laughs> you would think he's an exec at Marvel. I get it, um, but he yeah. he doesn't really do the world is weird, and here's a story set in a weird world. He does. Here's mm-hmm. the real world. It's almost Lovecraftian in that sense, where it's you're about to see something that shouldn't be. And well, I, I want to give a little bit of context for this film because I do think that it fits into what you're talking uh, talking about in the sense of it's not his strength. Um, no. When newcomers, Charles, played by Brian Krause, and his mother, quote unquote Mary, played by Alice Krieg, settle into town, the local residents do not suspect that they are shapeshifters looking to feed on the town's virgin girls. Charles quickly befriends innocent and chaste 
Tanya, played by Madgen Amick, uh, when he begins attending high school, hoping to take her life force in order to feed his mother. When Tanya, when Tanya agrees to a first date with Charles, she may learn his true intentions the hard way. It's a very strange synopsis. Uh, Sleepwalkers opened on April 10th, 1992 against Basic Instinct, White Men Can't Jump, Beethoven, and Fern Gully. Just to give you a sense of the hey, you know what? breadth this of 1992. Basic Instinct, that's a good double feature. That's a that's a that's a king fucking double feature. I would counter this in Beethoven's a good double feature, you know? Dog, oh, people, cat, people cats. all covered. I, that's a I I wish Charles Grodin Charles was in Grodin. this movie. Charles Grodin <laughs> as the sheriff having to deal with this. Counterpoint, bullshit. Tom. Counterpoint, Grodin should just be their neighbor, and we just keep cutting <laughs> back to him going, There's so many cats. <laughs> why are there so many cats? Yeah. Also, why are the cats unable? Yeah. Why are the cats unable to get past the fucking the, oh the little God. fucking the, the traps, traps on the lawn? They don't the cats know they can just walk around. Them? More importantly, <laughs> more importantly, I'm deeply concerned because you know our cat <laughs> likes to sit by the window a lot. Uh huh. Right, and we thought that was safe because we not were safe. not aware until we watched this film that cats can punch through glass, which is fucking cool. Which is cats can punch through glass. Unaware that cats. Can- and cats can see if the people uh, around you are weird incest cat people. Yeah, which I mean, I think I, I knew that before. But uh, this film goes on to make thirty million dollars on a fifteen million dollar budget. It has twenty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, thirty one from audiences. Uh, Var- Variety called it an idiotic horror pop <laughs> boiler. Um, Rude. I mean, there's really. I honestly went through most of the Rotten Tomatoes, and there's really no reviewers of note that's worth kind of uh quoting there is there is there is no there is no positive in to this movie this (laughs) is this is a this is a it's midnight and we're drunk let's watch something really fucking silly and but this movie opens number one at the box office and this speaks to both of your point about the stephen king of it all right like this movie was called stephen king's sleepwalkers Mm -hmm. right like it was branded with him um, it was a Sony movie, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it was a Columbia movie. Um, you know, it came out in April. It really didn't have a ton of competition, even though Basic Instinct goes on to make $400 million at the box office. Um, this movie really just kind of swoops in, makes some cash, and gets the fuck out. And as I sort of was doing what little research I did, because there wasn't a ton to be found online, there was a moment where they talked about a sequel where Tabitha... Steven's wife came up with an idea that somehow uh, has to do with a, a women's basketball team of some sort. Um, I mean, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, come on. That, what a tease. What a tease. What if it... What like if, a sequel. Like what a sequel if, right now. What if we get our hands on Tabitha, Tabitha King's screenplay for Sleepwalkers 2, and it is literally just love and basketball? Word for word. Be, well, one's be, a cat person? Yeah, precisely. Okay. Precisely. And Clovis, and Clovis and Clovis joins the basketball team because there ain't no rule that says a cat can't play basketball. So, I, I, fellas, thing, we've cracked it. Can I just say though that when I hit play on this film and I'm watching the first, I want to say 15, 20 minutes of this movie, mm-hmm. um, no shit, I start to think like, is there a TV show in this? Like, is there is there is there a world where I go? and take a general at Sony and say like, guys, sleepwalkers. But then well, by the end of the movie, I was like, I can't do it. I, I, I can't in good conscience go into I mean, anyone. Bill, if as- I may, 
if yes. I may, yes. the fact that you watched 20 minutes of this and your brain brain went to maybe I could take a general and pitch this as a TV show indicates one thing, and that is you need to leave Los Angeles for a while. <laughs> well, this okay. place has poisoned your brain. Well, listen, let me explain. Like when, been able when, to like when, write true. for a while. That's He's true. got I'm saying, writer's blue like, balls. Like it when only they takes use... a, it only takes a swift breeze to get him no, hard. Like, it's okay. Phil, when they used to tell, when they used to tell like poets in the 19th century, like you need to go away to the beach for like a couple yes, weeks sure. to heal. You need to go away from Los Angeles. Well, I, I mean, let me let me give a no, little bit I, of I, explanation. I get, I get, I actually get where Phil's coming from because it does have the feeling of it's adapted from a book that's a lot longer, and they just started pulling pages out to make it a brisk ninety minutes. You're like, is there gonna be more to this? Because it's because like you even just like I've rewatched it and like you just look through the, like the Wikipedia description and you go. That's all that happens in this movie. It feels like they're setting up a lot, and it's well, just it's it is like, that. But I'll say the other part of it too is, I mean, listen, this is not going to come as a surprise to either of you. Uh, IP is everything right now, right? So if you can find an an obscure movie or an obscure thing and find a new spin on it or a new way into it, you might be able to do something with it. And I'm watching the first twenty minutes of this movie, and I'm thinking, listen, it's a fucking Stephen King thing. Like, there, it's it's not crazy for me to be like, okay, you know, obviously these are cheesy effects, and obviously this is, you know, this is a kind of a B movie. But like, is there enough here? In terms of like, not even mythology, because there is very little. We see some sketches at the beginning that straight up made me fucking laugh in the credit sequence. Those cat people, like illustrations, are hilarious. But all this is to breastfeed human babies all the time. I'm not. But all this is to say that I was just like, listen, I could do the work to turn this to, you know what I mean, to turn this into something if it was worth doing. And by the end of the film, I was just like, I I, I can't do it. I can't, you know. It's funny because. King did pretty much redo this. It's Dr. Sleep. He just took all the weird cat shit out of it and just made energy vampires going after a young girl and Danny has to save her. It's straight it's it's the same thing. He's just like, "Oh, well, let's do this but good." I mean, I will say, well, or just I, you say energy, I say eating dead people's farts, but you know, whatever. That's cool. Oh, she she I, wasn't dead, so she was purposely conscious while she was farting out of her mouth. So, I I mean, I guess my thing with that, you hey, know, you and I, for, I make the joke about you gotta leave LA, but I do think it's more the thing of like, I I don't know. There's something about watching this in particular, right? Yes, yes. And and I I agree with you, Phil, when you're talking about like IP is everything ip also kind of was everything in a way like obviously yes yes uh, obviously you're not going to sit down and say like well 1992 is the exact same cinematic landscape as now right but for the fact that like what i'm you know you've kind of really discovered you know doing this year in particular like you had done 1989 previously and you talked about like that's kind of where you're starting to see a lot of like things get stale and properties get stale and you're in a period in 92 where like people want something new Right. And not just in the movies. Right. They they want something new everywhere. Like this is the Clinton year. Right. Like this is, you know, we're, we're, we're a couple years away from Sonic the Hedgehog. Like everybody wants an alternative. And I think that since there is no dominant force at this time. Slapping a I mean, Stephen King as an IP, like slapping that on something is going to get people to show up because they want something to enjoy, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, a perfect example, it happened again this year, right? I mean, literally this year, last month, 
we had a horror movie mm-hmm. that opened huge because it was based on a popular IP and its fans showed up and had a good time because they're like, well, this is a thing I'm a fan of. Yep. And any, but when you sit down, you're like, this is full of mythology that is incomprehensible. It keeps adding new plot elements where you go, I'm sorry, they're ghosts too. <laughs> they're ghost people in I'm referring to, of course, Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, but it is a similar thing of like where people showed up because they're like, yeah, I know this property. And a lot of people, you know, I think we kind of because you're talking about how much money this made. Right. I think we maybe don't talk about enough when we talk about film and film analysis, how much wanting to like something factors in. Absolutely. Right. Like you can walk into a movie and like come away defending something vociferously because you went in going like. Look, it's Stephen King. I like Stephen King. Because to watch this now, it doesn't make sense that this made money. To watch this now, it doesn't make sense that anybody came out of this thing, or even making this thing, were like, yeah, I think people are going to get on board with the incest cat people. But but it, like, but it, it, it people just kind of went, yeah, I guess I, I could, like, you, you should know we're in trouble from the beginning. Because you start with a title card that's just like, all right sleepwalkers they're they yeah we all know sleepwalkers we're all familiar we've all read this book that's made up uh you know this whatever it is it's, it's also framed like a it's framed like a dictionary definition yes yeah a dictionary definition sleepwalkers like, you know duh, people, this all, is what yeah, sleepwalkers we all, are. we're all we familiar all just know i mean listen every day i'm fighting all fucking sleepwalkers and yeah. i'm just trying to get fucking i'm just trying to go to the grocery store it's like leave me alone i'm trying to get I, I mean, like that's, soda. Leave me it, alone. that's where it starts with that title card and like you sit back like i sit back and see that and then as the movie is ex- like introducing new and more elements of like the sleepwalker mythology, I'm like, is this a real piece of folklore that I am <laughs> unaware of? That, because you're not doing any, you're not having a character turn around at any point and be like, they're going to turn invisible. No, it just happens. And I'm just supposed to go like, is this fucking yeah. part of, what are the rules of these things? Like, well, I, there is, I, there is I, no I Dick Halloran that... showing up to be no. like, here's The Shining, here's no. what's going on, no. like, blah, blah, blah. It is just this weird, just throwing you into the deep end of this gobbledygook that really just makes no sense. I mean, to the point where you go, well, all right, well, what are the rules? All right, well, I guess the only way they can get hurt is if a cat attacks them, but then this fucking dipshit just gets his eyes poked out at the end and he's dead now, and you're like, what, what, the, what is this? He's dead? Well, I... So... What's interesting is this movie has sort of a, a cold open, um, if you will. Weird with, cold uh, open. Pretty with dark. Mar- yeah. With with Mark Hamill, uh, who uh, who's a sheriff. They find a, a a drained young woman. It seems with a well, rose. First, in they her find hair. a bunch of massacred cats. Yes. For, first, first. Sorry, my apologies. Like, they find a ton of of cat carcasses. But the only reason I want to bring up this opening, other than the fact that obviously we'll walk through the movie, but I just feel like. I kind of understood the tone of the opening. Mm-hmm. It's 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 arch for sure, as you said, Tom. Like mm-hmm. it's it's silly, but I was like, okay, is this is this the wavelength it's existing? Are we are we kind of on a Sam Raimi esque kind of you know horror comedy what have you? But it then kind of vacillates to taking itself very seriously at times. It also, as you mentioned, Mike, it has an incest relationship as kind of the beating heart of this movie. Oh, yeah, um, it's not even subtext. It's straight up just, yeah, they're just mo- straight up mother, yeah. mother, let's go upstairs and yeah. that, go can to I the just, bone zone. Can I just note, so I was watching it with my partner earlier, 
and the two of them like he's saying you're so beautiful they're dancing together and the first thing she says at any point is she just goes all right so is this like i can't tell before they kiss her and she's like i can't tell if that's his mom and they're a little too close or this is a mrs robinson situation like i can't really tell and then they start kissing and she goes oh so it's a mrs robinson situation then and i went no (laughs) no it's what you thought at first but this is a subcategory on pornhub yeah. Well, because it's weird because, and I'm not suggesting necessarily that I needed an answer to this, but whatever. There's kind of like two stages of, let's say, transformation, if you will, mm-hmm. that I find a little confusing, mm-hmm. which is yeah. there's there's them in human form. There's them in sort of cat people form. Oh, we must discuss that. And yes. then there's a third stage, mm-hmm. which is almost like a... sweaty skinned bear Mm -hmm. situation of some sort (laughs) and also let's not call them cat people let's not call them cat people because when he's in his like mid-form transformation he looks like fucking christine baranski in the grinch movie (laughs) he looks like christine he looks like one of the who's in whoville like when she when the mom turns she looks a little like buffy vampire-esque but he looks like a fucking ron howard who (laughs) And that I, I is a true 100%. horror movie. That <laughs> is the scariest movie. But, in the 90s. but you know, you're talking about the prologue, Phil, the opening sequence, and I think the other element there that works so well, because mm. um, I, I agree with you, but feeling like, oh, this is a wavelength I can get on. The opening scene is not giving you any answers, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like these cats have been murdered, yeah. right? Why? It's mysterious. Yeah, it's there's this young girl. Why? And if the whole movie is we got to figure out what the fuck's going on and you uncover the mythology as you go on. That movie is watchable. That movie is very watchable. And instead, what Immediately we get- we get answers. <laughs> we get it. Well, we don't even get all the answers because what I love is we get the title card. Again, benefited from watching this with somebody through. else because we get like the little dictionary description, all that crap. And then later, uh, we're, you know, we see the high school from the outside, right? To skip ahead, we see the high school from the outside and we hear a voice going, they were sleepwalkers. They ran in the night. And before we cut inside, Bella, my significant other, turns and she goes, oh, this is that. So there's going to be like the teacher who's explaining the mythology. And I went, you would think. <laughs> no, it's him. Just, it is just straight the up telling us who decided his class essay should be about sleepwalkers that he's reading to everyone and what's interesting is the teacher is going there's something off about this and that's when you go oh he's like a giles and buffy like he's hip to mythology no he's listening to him read an essay on sleepwalkers and going i'm gonna try and grab his penis it's not just it's not just anybody it's otho it will is, always be over and and from, and the mayor from Nightmare yes. Before Christmas. Yes. yes, yes, and the mayor, for, of course. But um, you're also I, forgetting an important element is that when he gives his little short, you know, creative fiction pr- presentation to the class, it makes Madchen Amick yes. so fucking wet. She's like, I need to immediately throw away my innocence for this man. <laughs> so okay, I need to talk about Madchen Amick for a second because I had an I gotta enormous- give her credit. I think she knows what movie she's in. She does. I, I think, I think she part knows of exactly that is because is because she has some Twin Peaks. Lynch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she's got Lynch. Yeah. So she's able to kind of be like, okay, I think I can get on this wavelength. Um, I watched Twin Peaks when I was a kid. Loved it. Had an enormous crush on Madge Namek in Twin Peaks. Um, 
I still do. She's still like stunning. I think she's a great actor who just didn't really get a ton to do. Hollywood just didn't really give her a whole lot of opportunities, unfortunately. Um, and I agree with you, Tom, that I do think she understands what movie she's in. She's doing kind of the best she can. And when the film just, in my opinion, just goes careening off the rails in the third act, there I feel as though I think it, I think it, I think it almost works for like the first 40 or so minutes. Um, and it, it, I mean, we're, we will get to the various things that don't work, but I do think that the introduction to her character um, at the Arrow Theater, which is a great theater in Los Angeles in, in Santa Monica, um, you know, her dancing and she's just like, it's it's just Twin Peaks, really. Like, it's just her dancing yeah. and there's music oh, yeah. and she's just awesome and it just works. The Is his name, is Brian Krause? Is that his name? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Is fucking terrible. And I, Charlie and I, Brady, a I don't beacon even, I, of sex appeal. <laughs> I feel a little bad because I do think that he, I think that he's being directed in such a way to mm -hmm. seem kind of, Again, I don't mean to keep hitting the Twin Peaks thing, but I do really think that that is a big influence here. Oh, it's, it's 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 so big. It's well, such a big, obvious I thing. I feel like it's being directed like Peyton plays, right? Which was the thing that, that, that Lynch was inspired by to do Twin Peaks, which is that sort of everyone's a little bit dialed up. There's kind of this like, you know, big saucer eyes kind of component to Brian Krause. And he's, you know, he's got kind of this like, aw shucks kind of thing. That's like B-movie kind of performance. But him and Madchen are just not on the same no. wavelength. So it, it, they're just not matching. And the scenes with his mom are just deeply uncomfortable and weird. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's just, it's very strange, but, but I do think that Madchen is really good in this, as good as you could expect someone to be in this movie. She, I mean, listen, I, I think she knows exactly what movie she's in. Um, I honestly, I think Krauss is probably the thing that really does throw all of this off kilter yeah. in a big way. Because I think Alice Creed knows what movie she's in. Yes, she does. Um, in a small part, but I, I do think Ron Perlman knows what movie he's in. <laughs> he yes, just shows up for a bit, and he knows exactly what bullshit Absolutely. he's supposed yeah. to do. But the, you know, some of the others don't, like the sheriff and whatever. But like, uh, and the guy who owns Clovis, the real MVP of the movie, Clovis. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a movie that very boldly says all cops are bastards except for Clovis. Um, also, is this just a movie about how Stephen King hates cats? It hates. I... It kind of. It's. It loves cats, but it also goes through a lot of fucking cat corpses to get to the <laughs> ultimate point. But you know what? The weird thing is, and this needs to be addressed because I noticed this on the rewatch. Right? Mm. If you cut out the prologue, right? Yeah. 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 If you cut out the prologue. This movie doesn't really want to show you dead cats, right? This movie has yeah. one cat get its spine snapped, but otherwise, like you hear that the cat crazy caught in the trap. That's a crazy. <laughs> but I'm saying, moment. like, but I'm that saying, shit made me like, she just grabs cat to snap, and I'm just like, oh, what the fuck? But so, this is, this but that's thing. You hear the cat. You'll hear like a cat get caught in a trap and yell hey, or something screen. like that. Ow. But it, yeah, right, right. So you would think that this movie tricks you into thinking like, oh, they don't want to show. Yeah. The cat's dying, right? Because that might upset the audience, which makes a lot more sense if you hadn't just shown me at the start 30 fucking cats, <laughs> like, hung from their neck, some of which are missing the bottom half of their bodies. Yeah. 
You can can't I, have a can, cat looking I, like Drew Barrymore getting hung in Scream and then later be like, but let's not show a cat true. in a bear trap. I, can we this? just imagine what... I just don't want to imagine what the day of shooting was like for Alice Krieg, where they're just like, all right, Alice, we're going to throw a, a a toy cat at you, and you're just going to have to snap it in half like a chicken wing, and then I just would argue, toss it. I would argue, though, not the funniest thing to happen to a cat in this movie. Because the funniest is when the cat... There's a cat grabbing the mom when she's in full, like, beast mode. Yes. And then yes, the yes, sheriff yes. shoots her with a shotgun, yeah. and the cat on her back... <laughs> Flying like when they used to throw Gonzo on the Muppet Show. When they it lands on its feet. <laughs> this movie fucking rules. Come on. This is the coolest <laughs> shit in the world. This is the Can best. I also just say, though, I, this movie has several shots <laughs> of just a bunch of cats on a front yes. lawn. Yes. And, and it is, they're so passive it's trying they don't to do seem the even thing. remotely threatening that you it's every time i would just laugh and you'd be like guys it's just a bunch of cats just sitting on a front it's lawn like, <laughs> it's like oh we need to we need to lay out fucking bear traps for the cats they're not moving they're get not a moving. gun just and shoot them <laughs> but also you like fucking imbeciles when, when all the cats are coming to the rescue and they have to <laughs> speed up the footage because they realize cats doing a little trot has no energy whatsoever <laughs> none right like there's nothing it doesn't how funny like, was it when the sheriff's just outside and he just goes clovis and clovis <laughs> just scales the house breaks in and just you're just like I just yeah, say clovis let's just fucking do it when Hell yeah. clovis fucking mauls the shit out of uh what's it, charles i think it's yeah. his name Charlie yeah. Brady. charles uh it's incredible because first of all it's it's not scary because it's it's a cat right so like it's just not that big yeah yeah but it is being like crazy vicious and the way it's shot is pretty like violent and nuts but i mean one of the best things about this movie is we get (sighs) multiple sequences of a human adult actor having to pretend they're being attacked by a fake cat prop it is so every time it is so funny and they last (sighs) a long time they're not quick bits where it's like oh, oh no the cat and we gotta throw it. it's like a five minute sequence no, like, oh let's, fuck this cat fuck shit oh no let's, let's acknowledge one of the fundamental flaws of this movie <sighs> every single thing goes on too long well yeah every like stephen king has a cameo not long and enough <laughs> stephen king has a cameo where he's talking to like a technician or whatever he goes right? to toby like, you know, hooper that's it so he's talking to toby hooper Oh, and he's Toby doing Hooper, his, oh, golly gosh, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is a funny cameo. And then they're like, he needs to walk to Clive a Barker. second person. He needs to walk to Clive Barker and go, oh, golly, what's going on? And then walk to a third person. You're like, this Who tells him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's like, guys, it's a great we, scene, have, though. we have extended this bit too long. We have a cameo is one thing, right? That's why this I'm has moved beyond a cameo. To like That's why a small wait, supporting role. Is it Joe Dante's role? also in this? And John Landis and John Landis are in the yes. morgue scene. Yeah. It is see that's it's shit like that that makes me so fucking it blows my mind that this wasn't Cokie or a king because this has yeah. big maximum overdrive energy of just 
the bit is done, buddy. Move on to the next thing. We get it. You feel like a Superman and nothing can stop you, but edit the fucking picture, please. This isn't even a long movie, though, guys. This movie's like 88 minutes. So, like, on some level, they're padding it out. I mean, I will say that Stephen King, who is almost like it's scary how much he looks like joe hill like it's scary how much joe hill just looks like a younger version of stephen king oh yeah, yeah. it's pre- it's pretty nuts but like that scene admittedly goes on for way too long but also you've got a car chase in the middle of this movie that also goes on for quite some time um it has an incredible moment where clovis just looks straight down the barrel of the lens of the camera yes. which i yeah. absolutely love all for it it's not Close it's almost it's almost <laughs> It's almost disingenuous to call it a car chase because it's well, almost shot like like something from like a 1950s cop show or something where it's just oh like, it also it looks like something out of the Naked Gun. Yeah, the Naked Gun exactly. It feels like something out of the Naked Gun. And then when the, the, he pulls up to the cop car and Clovis just looks at him and he just goes, "Oh, what the fuck? There's a car! Oh, fuck! Oh!" And he like he just fucking skids the fuck out. And you're just like. Guys, this is. I mean, this is no, Tom, you're missing Tom. the best line in this movie. Okay, I'm yeah, sorry yeah. to cut you off, Mike. No, I but was going to bring up the same when Charles thing says, you were going to bring up. So. Stop looking at me, you fucking cat. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. guys, um, guys. This is what is, the movies he, were made for. I'm not. I'm not joking when I say he delivers that with the exact same cadence as Billy Madison says, "Stop looking at me, you swan." And let me be. 100% I wonder if Adam Sandler saw this movie. It's entirely possible. Let me be hundred percent clear, so everyone knows. Yes, when that line came up in the movie, she and I both looked directly at the cat and decided we have to say this line for the cat, uh, who looked at us with the same look of app. Like there is this thing of like we thought maybe she'll want to watch it because sometimes she likes seeing other animals on screen. Oh, uh, the cat looked at the screen for like five seconds looked back at us and maybe we're projecting but the face seemed to indicate you can do better than this <laughs> you can use your time i don't have thumbs i can't operate the remote you can turn this off at any time and you're choosing not to oh, can i so it needs to be said that i i'm on a strange sort of like cat run right now that i didn't really know i was going to be on which is i Are watched this movie pussy? excuse me are you chasing some pussy, Phil? <laughs> no. Um, this movie, I went to <laughs> yeah. see the Marvels, which has okay. a lot of cats in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually like like the Marvels, by the way. Go see the Marvels. It's being Boo. unfair. You didn't like the Marvels? Fucking terrible. Phil, come on, Phil, man. Phil, Phil, <laughs> come on. Phil, Tom has come out of virtually every Marvel project the last three years with the tone of, I was on board up until this one. This is the one that lost me for well, three I, I years mean, straight. I, so I, I, no, he did not like the Marvel. So here, here's I'm the, sure. I don't want to get into a whole. I haven't seen scene, it but yet, but I'll, I'll, but I'll just say this. Um, I also have Marvel exhaustion. Um, I've basically stopped watching any of the television output. Uh, I haven't seen Ant Man three. Um, I, I think that basically everything since the pandemic has been diminishing returns for sure. Um, this movie, to me. Um, sort of got a, a, a sh- pulled a shitty straw. Um, it's been punted several times. It's been edited. It's, it just feels as though Marvel, for whatever reason, has decided to like turn this movie into a punching bag. Um, I think that it's 
And I, I don't want to suggest that it is because it's written and directed by women and stars uh, to diverse women. Uh, I, I don't think that is the case, but I think that there is this very toxic awfulness that's going on around this film online that I think is also motivating people to not go and see what I think is a pretty fun, well, pretty no, people, breezy it's 90 like, minute I mean, people aren't go- there, There's two reasons why people aren't going to see this movie. It's not the online shit. That shit doesn't matter. We've learned that lesson from The Last Jedi. That that that, that has a negligible impact on box office. The re- mm-hmm. There's two reasons why Marvel's is not doing good. One, people are fed up with Marvel. They're just fed up. They're not getting the same quality they used to. We're done. It's over. I love this shit, and I'm getting sick and tired of it. And two, everyone forgets nobody liked Captain Marvel. It made a billion dollars, but nobody liked it. It made almost $2 billion. Yeah. But that's the thing. Everyone was hyped up. Okay, it's Marvel's first female-led superhero movie. Brie Larson's an Oscar winner. This should be fun. Marvel's on a good run. And then it came out, and everyone just was like, that was it? Okay. I'm going to just... I I just... I don't want to turn this into a whole giant thing, but I'll just say that... um, And obviously, I'll let you speak, Mike. I didn't mean to cut you off. But I'll just say that um, you're not wrong, Mike, that Captain Marvel did as well as it did for those reasons, right? People wanted to see a first female hero. Brie Larson won an Oscar, what have you. They also do like Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. She has shown up in a bunch of things. She is a character that people like. So I don't think it's fair on that front. I think that the strikes hurt this movie. Um, they couldn't promote this film. Uh, it, it, it was, it's been pushed its release date several times. It feels like some weird redheaded stepchild. I think that audiences are sensing that. And then I think on top of everything else, I really do think that, you know, you said that people are done with Marvel. I don't think people are done with Marvel. I mean, Guardians 3 made a boatload of money. It didn't do as well as the previous ones, but it still made a shit ton of money. People aren't done with Marvel. They just want the movies to be good. And they have decided preemptively that this isn't a good one. Well, that's, And I think that that's yeah. not based on anything I mean, real. That's the main thing I was going to say is like a lot of this Marvel discourse is, is um, you know, it's like I said earlier where we don't, don't factor in enough like how much we decide ahead of time whether we want to like something or not allows us to give something a benefit of the totally. doubt. Um, I think that when you talk to people, like a lot of people who are like, uh, you know, film people I'm talking yeah. about, right? Like film people who have been saying that Marvel's killing cinema for like well over a decade now. Yeah. You talk to them about these re- this recent batch of movies and they'll tell you like, well, there were two that were good. The one that Sam Raimi, who I like, did and the one that James Gunn, who I like, did. Um, I think the other element though uh to disagree with Tom a little bit you know the the onlineness of it i think matters to some degree because there are some people who to make their point about condemning these movies and saying oh you know marvel bad killing cinema are intentionally or not playing into those bad actors because like that variety piece that came out recently right that was all about this stuff everybody read it and i saw everybody who for 10 years have been telling me these movies are killing cinema retweeting it and going like fuck yeah this is bad and then people started coming out afterward and going like it's weird how they throw nia da costa under the bus because what actually happened is the movie got pushed back that's the only reason she was starting another movie and also a guy came out and went i've been attached to blade for a long time this they're replacing blade with a lady blade script i have no idea that this happened and you hear those things and you're like guys you didn't need to include this in the report and those kind of things yep. only exist to inflame the kind of guys who are going to have crazy youtube thumbnails now marvel and the marvel movies do have problems right and and you can just talk about those problems and 
I think the issue is you have a lot of people who there's a lot of things going into why a movie like this is getting the flack that it is, right? And some deservedly so and others not so much, right? What I think is not necessarily great about, and we saw this happen with Star Wars and we saw this happen with other franchises, which is it's not great to turn around necessarily and go, well, there's no such thing as bad actors in this or there's no such thing as like, nefarious sociological elements to this because uh, those don't matter those don't count what the you know the weird trolls online the weird you know crazy people they don't matter it's actually that this thing is objectively bad and destroying cinema because we're allowing uh, leeway where now we look at you know like that star wars or any of those and you're like oh no there are some people who are just like shitty racist people yeah, i mean okay, okay. I, all right, listen there, there listen there are shitty racist people i'm not saying that there are but it has no actual impact on the fucking product because i don't agree the rise of skywalker made less than the last jedi and everybody hated the last jedi like no, they, I, they I, tried to make a movie towards fucking the the racist trolls that they thought actually mattered and it didn't fucking matter i'm not saying that should, playing to okay. them increases the box office but i am saying like it's it's you know, uh, there is there is a particular narrative that folks get attached to, and they will they will stand by that narrative no matter what. And I think that when we are talking about film, particularly the modern film landscape, we have allowed ourselves to, if we want to believe that again these movies are killing cinema or these movies are bad or whatever like that. Like again, it's I I we are watching people go to bat for things and points of view. We, you and I both know people who were like, who really bought into that. Oh, there's a Lady Blade script and they're trying to emasculate Blade. And we're retweeting that into Infinity and making their comments on it. And then it was like, right. nobody well, ever said I, that. I, I, there, there are, listen, this, I'm not talking about film Twitter. We tend to get, when we talk about shit like this, what the dickheads on film Twitter have to say. I don't give a fuck what they have to say. Yeah, but we do, People and that's why work... we're talking about it. No, like, no that's we're the talking thing. about, like, no, don't... because film Twitter's not actually affecting the box office of the movie because if it did five nights at freddy's would have bombed and it didn't because regular ass people want to see it regular ass people aren't going to see the marvels because they're sick of this shit someone at work thought the marvels was a tv show and you mike did not know it came yeah, out this no, that's, weekend i agree look i'm saying there's a number of problems i'm not suggesting otherwise so like, let me just clear let, yeah yeah okay. let me just say this because I, I i really do see where you're both coming from and i'm not I, i'm i'm not 
actually does tie into this. The third movie that that um, we're covering relatively soon is Batman Returns, which has a lot of cats in it as well. Spoiler, Catwoman. Um, I, I bring this up because in 1992, Batman Returns comes out. You know, prior to all of the comic book scenario that we're in now, the the the, the shit ton of comic yeah. book movies that yeah. come out, right? Mm-hmm. And that movie comes out, and it is pretty much resoundingly hated by critics. Mm-hmm. Um, pa- parental associations say it's way too dark and fucked up for kids. Uh, kind of agree, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. That's what I love about the movie. The but I love it. I fucking love that it's you know two oh, it's great. people in skin tight leather beating the shit out of each other and a penguin man barfing up bile all day long. It's great. I great time at the movies. I think. But I, I bring this up just because I think that we we to Tom's point, I think we've gone too far. Right. With a lot of these, specifically with Marvel, I think DC has its own problems. I think that oh, all of shit. these comic <laughs> movies have just are, are, are flooded the, the market. I think that quality needs to triumph over quantity. I think that next year there's only one Marvel movie coming out if they're lucky and it's going to be Deadpool 3, which I, I mean, who knows how that's going to be, but whatever. I think that this pause right now that Marvel's being forced into against their will is probably a good thing. It's probably an opportunity for them to sort of take stock of what's going on. They're probably going to lose their villain, it seems, in the end of this. This. Oh, I think they were going to. I would think they were. Gonna, I think they were going to do this shit anyway. I think once Iger came back, he knew. Like he came out and said when he got rehired, like we're putting out too much Marvel and Star Wars stuff. We got to stop. Let's we don't have back. any Star Wars stuff out, but that's yeah. I understand what he's. I mean, no, but he said like we flooded the market. We got too much shit because Chapik wanted to make Disney Plus a thing, and Disney Plus is bleeding fucking subscribers, and nobody watches these goddamn things. No, for so, sure. I, that, that, the, the TV shows aside, all this is to say. Just no, to I know what you mean. To, he needed to. to, to, to I, I was just saying. I think the pause was coming anyway. But I, yeah, I know that, what that you might mean. be true. I, I, all this is to say that when you put it, if you put it next to ninety two, and you put it next to a year where. You know, you had a couple comic book things, if you're lucky. Um, It was just a very different landscape. And I think that today, there's just a lot of things bumping around in our heads when we're thinking about what we're going to watch, when we're going to watch them. And I think that it does have effects on a whole bunch of things. It affects the types of movies that are made. It affects the way that they're marketed. It affects the the types of publicity that these things get. And I think it's, I, I, I think that it's kind of a problem when this movie in particular, it's just, it is not a fucking coincidence. It's just not a coincidence no, that this it, movie is getting the shit kicked out of it because it happens to be about women that happens to be written and directed by women that it happens to have diverse women in it. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's not a coincidence. It's just not. I, it's, I, I think I, it is. That's what I'm, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, we saw, but, we saw but, with Quantumania earlier I mean, this year. Listen, Quantumania I, got his ass kicked. Sure. It did, but it's look. There's. I think it's inarguable that. I mean, I I agree with Phil only insofar as like I think it's inarguable to say, like it's definitely a factor in some of the yelling because whether or not you want to include in your Venn diagram those weird online people, the fact of the matter is like if you have a movie that is getting its ass kicked and getting yelled at by film critics and people who have legitimate concerns and are angry it's it's like captain marvel one because you and i talked about this tom when captain marvel one came out which is now everybody can sit down with that first captain marvel movie and say whether or not Not you like it there's flaws (laughs) there's a lot of flaws but when it first came out like you and i talked about this while we were working in a movie theater like it is tough it was tough at that time to talk about that movie because if you went 
yeah, that movie bothers me, you would have to go with the caveat that I'm not like these other guys who are out here saying this movie's bad because Captain Marvel used to be a guy and isn't anymore. There is a need to separate oneself because when these movies get that way and there is that heat on it, you know, it is, you have to separate yourself from those people. The fact of the matter is, yeah, the other movies, Marvel movies have been taking a licking. There is no argument there, especially Ant-Man 3. However, when there is a large group of people yelling because they are critics and because there are people who love cinema and because there are people who have legitimate gripes, and then the next time it's time to yell, they are also joined by alt-right Nazi people, it does get louder because now those people have joined in the yelling and it doesn't mean that the other people's grievances aren't real. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that there is an extra element of anger at that. And I think that what freaks, what weirds me out about the entire Marvel is killing cinema thing and has for a while is that people got so caught up in that idea. Marvel's killing cinema. It happened for a decade. And we watched like all of these people who had so whipped themselves up into a frenzy for that, that they were clinging to just about anything else. And they had picked their things. You and I have talked about this. I've talked about this plenty of times that like, you know, a lot of people, yes, it's the film Twitter people who were not supposed to count, but the film Twitter people uh, who basically had decided Mission Impossible was the one good movie franchise for whatever arbitrary reason. Uh, and then this year, but no, because I uh, the only reason I bring that up is like say it, this year was say it, say it. Say uh, I don't give a I'm shit. The kid is back. Uh, I don't give a shit. The kid is back. Um, but no, but there was Wait, this interesting thing. Back? What's going on, kid, Phil? You didn't know Kitteridge is back. We oh, all know oh, who yeah. Kitteridge Kitter- is, yeah, and Kitteridge is back. And he's great. He's back. And America cares. Um, No, but my thing is, like, that was a perfect example of, like, for so many years, the only alternative to Marvel, Mm -hmm. people were like, well, it's Mission Impossible, because that's at least made by an auteur and this and that, right? Mm -hmm. And then this year, it was just very fun to kind of see, like, Dead Reckoning Part 1 did not do well, and people were like, oh, man, this audience is bad. But then, actual original movies did perform well at the box office, right? And it was this thing of, like, I kind of felt like when I saw people going like, oh man, I don't know about audiences today, man. They're, they don't want to see Dead Reckoning. Maybe they don't want great cinema. I'm like, they're going to see the three-hour atomic bomb movie and said, we well, won. Originally, I, 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 I fully again. agree with you. I, I mean, I, I think it's... I mean, listen, we could, we could get into a whole thing here in terms of why some things performed and some things didn't. I think that Mission Impossible was, was, was poorly released. Um, I think that it had a very, very narrow corridor with which to perform, well, which I don't think they did also well. Realized, they realized too late that you shouldn't have called the movie Part One because well, nobody wanted to see a Part One of a not well, complete story. There is that. I mean, I, I think that, and I would also just, I didn't love Dead Reckoning. I thought it was fine. It's not one of my favorites in the franchise, but I just think that they they really gave it a very, very narrow way to survive in that landscape. Like you giving that movie one week before fucking Barbenheimer is a, is a, is a bad idea. I mean, (laughs) in fairness, in fairness though, imagine sitting somebody down again after I'm not, I'm only saying this for this after Maverick blew up the box office, sitting somebody down and going, I'm not sure if Tom Cruise can hold up to Killian Murphy building an atom bomb and talking about communism for three hours. Somebody would have turned around to you and went, buddy, I think we're going to be okay. Well, so, you know, I, I, I'm going to just, I I don't disagree with you. But I'll, I'm to play devil's advocate just for a quick second here. I do think that, you know, one of the things, and again, I, I think that Mission Impossible didn't perform for a myriad of reasons. I think the movie, A, wasn't as good as the previous installments. B, it didn't have a lot of time. But also, you know, smartly, 
Universal snagged all the IMAX screens for Oppenheimer, which is how a movie like that gets to a billion dollars is by, you know, doubling your ticket prices and making sure that people, and again, this is not to take away from his performance. I think it did very well for, because it's a good movie, but I do think that we're not really talking about that. One of the reasons that, you know, Maverick did as well as it did was it owned IMAX for like six months, basically. So like part of its box office dollars comes from inflated prices that you get from, from IMAX. So when you take that out of the equation, which if I'm being honest, I saw Dead Reckoning in IMAX and it wasn't shot in IMAX, so it didn't need to be seen in IMAX. And then you're just like, why did any, it doesn't matter. Point is, I think that Dead Reckoning underperforming is is a testament to everything going wrong, right? Like it just all well, stacked up against But it. I also think there's one element of Dead Reckoning not doing well that is also why the Marvels isn't doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, and this is something Tom and I've talked about, I think a great deal, which is like, yeah, calling it Dead Reckoning Part 1, right? And relying, in some cases, in the marketing on, like, no, this is a much more character-driven film than the others, yeah. um, is the same problem that the Marvels, part of the reason it's underperforming is, up until, like, two weeks ago, they were leaning really heavy into, so here are all of the TV shows you need to watch before you can see this movie, yeah. and here's all the stuff you need to watch, and then only in the last two weeks have they been like, no, you can go in fresh to this thing. And I think the problem is, especially the Mission Impossible movies, right? I think in the film Twitter bubble, where these are the only good franchise, everybody knows every character, right? You'll hear people like, and again, people I respect and love who will be like, my God, like I'm so into Benji. Meanwhile, the average person who goes to see that movie goes, I think I know Tom Cruise's name is Ethan. That's Simon Pegg. Like most people go because it's like, I want to see really good action and cool stunts. Nobody, you know, the average person buying a ticket is not showing up like, well, I'm really invested in the saga of Ethan Hunt. It's like, oh, cool, another one of these that's going to be fun. Once you put in, like, part one, right, it does seem to indicate, like, no, trust me, you guys need to be real caught up on this mythology. And this was a year of people going, I want to go to the movies to watch one movie. Well, you're, you're I speaking of something that, you know, that I think is, and I, I've had this discussion with you know many friends during the strike and post strike, and and this is just this is a symptom of a bigger problem when it comes to movies and television, which is that weirdly you're now seeing, and I think we're getting away from this in movies. To your point, which is that it actually like a cinematic universe actually doesn't work very well. People don't like going to see things that then are then a fucking ellipse to another thing that they have to see they want to go see a complete story they want something that feels like its own thing and i think that that's one of the things that i think marvel is definitely pushing uphill right now which is we don't want to go see a movie that we won't completely understand unless we've seen two other television shows like it's just not this is not the movie going experience and that's and that's why the only marvel success story this year was guardians 3 it didn't have to do homework. It Correct. was just the third Guardians movie, Correct. not the 24th Marvel yeah. movie. It's why um, I have a good feeling to some degree or another to see what James Gunn does with DC to try well, to sort they of release his movies up. and yeah, not get attacked right them. off. Um, <laughs> I said this when I came out of the movie, when I saw Mission Impossible with my brother, Chris. We talked about this on the Top Gun episode where I laid out my theories that it wasn't going to do as well as everyone thought it was. Yeah. I came out of that movie and I said to my brother, and we both liked it, but I said... This is like three hours long, and it's more of a spy movie than an action movie. I don't think this is going to connect to a basic audience. 
it's a well, lot I, more I, about setup and like espionage and figuring it uh, other than like the train thing at the end it's kind like, of they, action they, there's, a, there's a solid car chase scene in the center of it but well, yeah that's the car point, chase scene but to your point, in comparison to Fallout, which I would argue is definitely one of the best in the franchise, which pre- you know, precedes it, I was surprised to your point about the smallness of it. I think, and again, this is just speculation. I don't have anything to you know solidify this theory, but I think COVID had a pretty significant effect on this movie. Oh, I, yeah. think that, I think that there was a lot of stuff. Um, the movie felt smaller. Uh, it, 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 to your point, felt very kind of... Um, intimate to some degree the set pieces had a lot of green screen going on that generally speaking isn't really what the franchise is known for um so it it just there was a lot of like and they made such a stink out of the fucking motorcycle going off the cliff thing and i was just like okay i mean it's five why, seconds it's yeah. it's like not even impressive it's, in the movie it's not <laughs> that impressive in comparison to like the set pieces in fallout are fucking crazy like you're watching that that but, whole helicopter about, sequence is just well like, because the funny thing in fallout is that in fallout they were preaching about him jumping out of the airplane and you go sure. wow that's crazy and it's the beginning of the movie and then you get to the end you're like wait he's flying a fucking helicopter now right. they yeah. didn't tell me about yeah. this shit right and well, like and yeah. the, and the bathroom fight, which is one of the best hand to hand fights, you know. Well, that in movie's basically like that movie's basically like every five minutes, here's a new set piece. Right. Oh, right. set piece is right. over. Five minutes to breathe. Yeah. Here's another set piece. Yeah. Where I said, I said to my brother, I'm like, this is more of a spy movie. There's a lot of complicated AI. It's a lot of talk. You know yeah. who who's who's on this side and what's the AI going to do? And Essay Morales is talking about. I know exactly what's going to happen because I have AI and just like. All right, can someone punch another man in the face right now, please? <laughs> but I'll, so to 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 get back to Sleepwalkers. Thank God, yes. I want to yes, see I how this trend. No, I want to see how this transition I have, I have, goes. I have no transition. We're just going to start talking about Sleepwalkers now because oh, we've, had, a, we've thought, had enough I, of. I really thought no. you had a smooth transition. I, I tried the smooth transition earlier with Batman Returns to get us back to '92, and then you guys just pulled us right back towards 2023, which is fine. But Look, I'm just—we have not talked we, in months. We've got you know, no, no, no. A lot I'm not, of I'm spitting not, going down. I'm not. You know? I get it. It's totally fair. Um, I, 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 I do want to talk for a second. We're in yeah. this car chase at this point in the movie, um, for reasons that just because I guess Stephen King needed them to, uh, they and can just, just become, they can become invisible. They can just yeah, well, just, they like, just become then they become invisible yeah. if they yeah. if they think yeah. I don't know why. So his car just yeah. becomes invisible. Um, he becomes but then invisible. Clovis sees him. But Clovis our, sees him, and that's when he says, "Stop looking hero. at me, you fucking cat." Um, and then Charles is, changes his car into a completely different car. Yeah, sure. Uh, again, these are just like these are superpowers. I'm just like, where where are these coming from? Um, and then you have Charles and Mary having sex, and then you see in the reflection of the yep. mirror the third phase of what they look yeah. like mm-hmm. yeah. but you can't really make it out you don't even really know what you're looking at it's just, just a skin lump flaps. of clay yeah just skin flaps it's just a um, lump can of I, clay can i can i can i just say one thing together. can i just say one thing that does tie this all together yes. truthfully yeah the rug thinking about it in this context sleepwalkers does feel like a movie that you were supposed to have read three books and watched yeah. TV, that's TV what they said before you understand it feels like it like, like it does tear in every other page it, out just it, to get does, everything in. Yeah, it does feel like people would be next to me going, well, if you watched the HBO Max series Sleepwalkers, mm-hmm. you would understand why they have that third form. Well, if you had watched the previous <laughs> film, if you had watched Duma Key Dead Reckoning Part 1, you would understand why they're able to turn the car invisible 
And you know that scene whatever. is uh, part of the reason why they had an NC-17 rating and they had to edit that scene down because Brian Krause was thrusting them hips and they were like, we do not, not like 92, this. 92, baby. How could, you, how could you tell from within that rubber suit? Well, no, they oh, cut it out. They cut it out. Yeah. It was I, Matt Garrett's so, like, oh, it's a, it was a one, one take and we were kind of like, fuck, how do we cut out the thrusting? It's like, oh, thank God we have a shot from the top to make these two lumps of shit look even so worse. I, I want to just uh, rewind for just a quick second about the tone of this movie, because I really do feel there like... There is no tone. The, the, <laughs> the camp factor of this film, yeah. at times, it's wrapping its arms around it, right? You've got a man who gets stabbed with a corn cob okay yeah yeah which which i don't i don't really think you could break the skin with a corn cob but that's neither here nor there i'll let you know i'll let you know <laughs> cool um <laughs> but like that happens and you're just sort of like i mean how seriously am i supposed to be taking this movie and then you have like this crazy climax where you've got like people set on fire and and it, it's, when it's she, quite upsetting. when she picks up the sheriff like a fucking wwe wrestler and just <laughs> impales his ass on the fence i was just like this is awesome but it's also like movie the seventh making. tone. This is like the seventh tone change in this scene. And it's it's yeah. wild because to bring up um Five Nights at Freddy's again, if I may. Uh, sure. I apologize for but uh I was texting Tom about did you, have you seen Five Nights at Freddy's yet, Phil? Okay. Good. Um Don't save your sanity. No, no, I Phil, I desperately I want you to watch it on Peacock. It. So I, I want to hear I genuinely and I Tom, you have to agree. Uh, much like our text chain after I saw it, Phil, I need you to just put us in a group text as you work through sure, sure. the mythology of this thing because it makes a lot of choices. But in this movie, there was one guy that Tom and I agreed like gets the tone of the movie, right? Okay. Uh, it's, it's Gary the lawyer, right, Tom? Is it Gary? I don't remember his name. Yeah, but the, the, I lawyer, don't know how to fucking right? the weird fucking so lawyer guy. Yeah, there's a guy who's like, he's a strange character actor guy, right? Uh -huh. And he exactly gets this right. The only two people I think who get the tone of that movie are Gary the Lawyer, but also Matthew Lillard, right? Mm, okay. And that's it, it's worth noting that because when you're talking about tone, right, and oscillating between like when is this silly, when is this fun, yeah. Lillard has always been a fucking pro at that. Before I saw Freddy's, my partner and I watched Scream because she'd never seen it. Great movie. That is a movie. Liver alone, man. Has some, alone. Yeah, it has some very, but it has some very silly shit. Yes, right yes. it has you know jamie kennedy on the couch going watch out jamie all that a lot of lillard's performance mm -hmm. treads that line and i think totally. it's one of those things of like when you're talking about like well sometimes this movie is very silly and campy and other times it's very scary and mm -hmm. it doesn't know what it wants to be looking at what somebody like lillard can do either in scream or and tom back me up on this even in freddy's like lillard knows how to calibrate that performance right yeah he's like the yeah, only yeah. one but he's the one that gets like listen i know i not to, i'm not going to spoil anything about it but like he is one where he's like i i get what this is and i know how to make it like okay. how to make it just silly enough mm -hmm. like because scream does it too it knows how to be just silly enough that you as a teenager in the audience go I'm going to laugh a little too loud at this so that yeah. nobody knows it actually scares me a bit. That's well, the tone that this movie could, if it was I agree, out, because this should be hitting. I think it starts with that tone to some degree, right? When you yeah. when you have that cold open with Mark Hamill, who's hamming it up, like, he, yeah. again, he does, generally speaking, know what movies he's in and television shows he's in. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm sort of like, oh, okay. I I I think I understand where we are, but we truly outside this, of Madchen, I don't feel like no anyone else really to this knows movie. Who, yeah. Well, because no. there's no there's no center to this movie. It's like you said, yeah. you think you're gonna go in and there's gonna be a mystery of like, okay, well, what's going on? We you mm-hmm. know, we started with this dead girl in the opening, yeah. we're in this new town, what's going on? But then it's like, okay, well, here's these two weird cat people. They're fucking in the attic. Okay, great. Um, Madshin Amick is yep. here because, you know, she, she's a virgin, so we're going to eat her soul, whatever. Okay, great. But, like, sure. what's the arc of anything in this movie? Like, no, we're not focusing on her, like, dealing with being a, a girl in high school, and she's dealing with boys, and there's this one guy. Oh, I like him, and he's a fucking freak, it turns out. The, there's no arc with these two fucking vampire dipshits because it's just like, we're hungry. Let's go eat some virgins. It's like, all right, you got anything else for us? I also, I, I there's there's one other thing that I wanted to mention too, which you know, and listen, this is a production thing, and I'm sure there were reasons for it, but like, way too much of this movie takes place during the day. Um, mm-hmm. This entire movie should take place at night. Uh, all this stuff during the day. I mean, we we had this issue on Sleepy Hollow when we were making that, which is that like, listen, night shoots suck. No one likes it. It fucking blows. Um, it's hard to shoot. It's it's just it's a pain in the ass. Everything looks better at night, and especially when you're dealing with anything in the horror genre or supernatural space, it's just like I'm just watching a guy chase another guy through the woods in the middle of the day. It just doesn't have the power that it could if it was shot at night and i i think that's a big problem with this movie i know that it seems maybe overly simplistic but i just really think that it just takes the tone of this movie whether or not it's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek which i think a lot of the time it is i just think that um atmospherically you just want that and the movie's called fucking sleepwalkers yeah. like, i and phil i mean it's funny you mentioned sleepy hollow i mean of course you know again that's you're coming from your own experience sure. with your version of that but like i'm just thinking about the fact that you know because uh, my partner actually up in the real sleepy hollow this year seeing irving's house and on and when you go to that's upstate awesome. new york they're doing a ton of um uh they're doing a ton of like washington irving sleepy hollowy yeah, yeah. Sure, stuff sure. you know um but in any event one time, it was a different time, I think it was up in like Kinderhook, New York, somewhere else upstate New York, and it was around Halloween time, and they brought out a headless horseman, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, also, if you're in Disneyland on Halloween, they bring out their headless horseman. Mm-hmm. The key difference here, if you go to Disneyland, they know you have to bring the headless horseman out at night. Because <laughs> if Ichabod Crane's walking with a lantern and the headless horseman comes out, yeah. It is legitimately so upsetting we watch children cry sure. on Main Street. It was incredible. Uh, or on Buena Vista Street in California Adventure. Um, upstate, they brought him out in the daylight. And the Headless Horseman looks stupid as shit. Like, immediately. Nerd. Yeah, but truly, like, you yeah. bring out the Headless Horseman in the daylight, and you immediately go, well, the guy's head's tucked in, you know, under his shoulders. He's got a pumpkin. Yeah. The pumpkin looks weird. It looks like it's rotting. But... You see it at night and, you know, again, I mean, again, the Imagineers are very good at atmosphere and all sure. that, but like you sure. see it at night. I'm, I mean, again, I'm sure for you working on a set, right. You know, well, you, yeah. you look at some of these things and you're like, well, of course, when it's out of the proper scene dressing, it looks silly. This movie is all out of the proper, you know, scene. Well, it's because it's because it's yeah. what I said before, Mick Garris is a bad filmmaker. Like I know this is a, <laughs> Listen, it's a low-budget horror movie. I get it, and time is really of the essence when you make this shit, and that's how you can make daytime scenes look good or not. 
but he doesn't have the juice to make a daytime scene look good. Like he, I know he loves fucking like standing on the shoulders of all the masses of horrors and like, oh, I'm friends with Landis and Hooper and Craven and all these guys, so I'm just like them. You're not. Toby Hooper, 20 years before this fucking movie, on and like a, a percent of the budget you had for this piece of shit, he made it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 90% of the movies during the day, and it's yeah. fucking atmospheric and creepy and unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. No uh, it's just, Mike, maybe I don't know if Phil saw this, but I think a movie that this movie wants to be and really just cannot be, this Is movie a river feels runs like it's it? got, well, obviously. Um, because the river runs through mad dynamic when she sees Charles Bradley. Hey. All right, all right. Hey, that, um, hey. Okay. That that though. Um, sorry, Tom. You make your point, and then I will touch on the mad dynamic thing for a second because I've not touched on this. Isn't yet. this <laughs> like the people under the stairs? Isn't this trying yeah, to like? Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it trying to that's, capture that's that a crazy, much better like, version of this? Like it's trying to capture yeah. that crazy like exactly. fairy tale in Middle America mm-hmm. tone thing, and also has a very specific Twin Peaks connection I, of Big Ed and now, um, what's her name? His wife I, in, in the show. Yeah. As for oh, Magdynamic, yeah. right? Tom keeps yeah. making jokes about just how horned up she is in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is appropriate to make fun of insofar as like, first of she all... bug-eyed horny. <laughs> yeah, like that's the thing. Like she is written... She is, she is written the way that like the most hackish male porn writers yes. write a, a woman feeling aroused. Um, and it's it's extra troubling. Not troubling, but it's, it throws you off mm-hmm. because she's a pair. You know, the premise of the film is she is a virgin, right? Right. That's yes, the whole idea. I He's trying to steal true. her life force because she is a virgin, right? Okay. You need to do even a little bit of legwork to. I, and I'm not saying this. Hear me out, right? If you are going to introduce a character who like. We know nothing about her. We don't. The only time we see her before he shows up, right? Mm-hmm. The only time we see her before he shows up is her dancing to a song in the movie theater, right? We Correct. know nothing about her life outside of this. Now, cut to a much better film, right? Halloween. Yeah. John Carpenter's sure. original Halloween. Sure. Yes, it is even less of a factor in the plot that Jamie's character is like much more innocent and virginal than her friends. But John lays the groundwork to go, let me tell you who this person is. Let me give her a bit of more interiority, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas we are introduced to Magic and all we see is her dancing. This new guy she has never met shows up, right? Mm -hmm. And she's instantly like, you know what? That guy's hot. I want to get him in the sack. I'm willing to, I'm going to make horned up jokes about rubbing in the cemetery when he meets my mom. And yeah. my thing with that is it's just this thing of like, I'm having trouble understanding this person, right? Mm-hmm. I'm having trouble understanding like, who is this person who is apparently mm-hmm. the most like virginal virgin in this town that the supernatural being who wants to feast on virgins is like, this is the most virgin person, right? <laughs> Uh-huh. But also, you tell us nothing about her personality and nothing about what she sees in him to Correct. explain why the most virginal virgin looks at this guy and is like, suddenly becomes, you know, Sandy at the end of Greece, right? She just has sure, a sure, 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 sure. Like, again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this is in like, oh, you need to tell me why she hasn't gotten, like, it's more the thing of like, 
<laughs> there is no effort to give her character any personality well, or interiority beyond well, being it, caught for him, which is why it doesn't make any well, sense that you also have no this element of... That's what I'm saying. It's, be, it's because, like, if you're a virgin and you're like, I'm gonna finally get, I'm gonna finally get past this, you're not... You're gonna fuck for the first time in a cemetery? That's Come the thing. On. It's it's you. No. And if, but if, if you want to fuck in a cemetery, you fucked before. You're not doing like, it for the first time. It's, it's true. You're not doing it for the first time next to a guy who died no, like, in Vietnam. Tr- honestly, Tom, to your point though, if you're gonna do that and you want that to be the plot point, right? Sure. Truthfully, you add in one scene where instead of her being like the Stephen King bubblegum pop dream girl, right? Mm-hmm. If you had her be more of a almost like a Lydia Dietz type, right? Sure. Where yeah, sure. I'm a bit awkward, I'm a bit of an outsider. And then the cemetery element, real simple. Mary Shelley lost her virginity in a cemetery, right? Okay. If this guy, instead of preying on, let's face it, and again, and I'm not saying this just about appearance, right? I'm saying the way they style Madge Dynamic in this movie, everything. There is no effort to make her anything other than like the all-American girl next door. Whereas, like, right. if you make this, if if instead you simply address it as like he is going after the wallflower, he is going after, you know, we're going to make this character like a bit of an awkward and outsider. Like, it, that's all you need to do in order to make me go, got it. I get why this goes down the way it does. If he's the first person to ever, pay, it's like, again, when sure, you sure, like sure. Twilight even does this really well. We're like, they do establish like Bella Swan does not get a lot of attention. Bella Swan is a bit of a wallflower. Bella Swan feels awkward in her town, whatever. So when the new boy comes to school and this new boy is more interested in her than any of the pretty popular girls, that's all you need to go, got it. I get why she's intrigued by him, right? I got this. Yeah. I get it. And and it's also like with the opening scene, they, it's, unless I'm misremembering, they indicate that it's like a, little girl that he ate and lived off of and that's the body they found well like a teenage had braces on so you know so that's like 12 or 13 or something so you go all right so why are you going after her and making this so like so much more complicated than it needs to be which then adds to again how fucking terrible the script is he kind he like before they go to the cemetery he's trying to tell his mom like does it have to be her? And you're like, wait, do you actually like this girl? Yeah. Is that going to yeah. be the story? Is that going to be well, the story of the movie where it's like he falls for this girl and he's going to fight with his mom to protect this girl? It's like, well, oh, there no, does he's immediately to- going to like rape the shit out of her. Yeah, I mean, it does feel as though they're tempted to go in sort of that direction, which again would have been more interesting and would have created a little bit of more, a little more tension in terms of that sort of situation. But ultimately, I think that Charles, once he devolves or evolves into that fucking beast creature i mean all bets are off and then her her being able to kill him by plunging her fingers into his eyes is is nonsense well i mean the Um, scene where he turns into the cat guy after he attacks her in the the cemetery and she just keeps like stabbing him and beating him and doing this it feels like an evil dead 2 scene of just oh look let's look at this guy get like walloped with you know increasingly comedic effect and you just go yeah but like five seconds before this 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 felt like a retreat at a republican camp or something like i don't know yeah, man. it's i mean once the once the movie really kind of devolves into just 
essentially i guess the climax of the movie which is sort of that all the housebound stuff and like sort of cops outside kind of and like there's this detente that sort of has been created or whatever um then it just becomes kind of completely over the top you've got her catching on fire um you've got cats gathering around the house led by clovis clovis is the is just like rallying the troops um it's 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 pretty ridiculous which by the way fire i i think that's kind of to maybe to the movie's problem which is that that's the best stuff in the movie because at least it's got a deranged energy to it we're like oh yeah he has blood and explosions and cats are just attacking <laughs> this this woman and shit where like the first fucking hour of this movie you just go like who cares like this guy is no, gonna eat sure, this girl sure. and this girl's just like oh googly-eyed and being dumb and you just go but like at least i understood what movie i was in for like the first half hour 40 minutes and it just it 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 really you know as we've sort of said not to not to you know belabor the point but it it just feels as though there's just not enough either mythological ballast or at least rules for us to sort of understand um that once it kind of just starts doing whatever it wants willy-nilly you as a viewer you disengage because you're just like well if you don't care enough to like keep me locked into like what's hap- like why things are happening then why should i give a fuck it, it's well, it's also the fact that like it's okay to have it be willy-nilly if you are going to anchor us in match dynamic or one of the sheriffs or whatever from the point of you know thinking about how do we kill these things right yeah we've shot it we've whatever how do we kill these things if somebody is asking that question right and the movie wants us to be like on their wavelength of like hey we don't know how to kill this thing instead by that point the movie takes the tone of like of like hey do you guys see this they don't know how to kill sleepwalkers and it's like motherfucker we don't know how to kill sleepwalkers But you are acting like we all know how to kill sleepwalkers, but these things don't exist. There well, is no the mythology end, for these. And in the end, nobody still knows how to kill sleepwalkers yeah. because she's just like, Matchin's just like, oh, thank God they're dead. How? Yeah. Thank you, Clovis. Yeah. Let's That's get what the I'm hell saying. Like, it's this whole movie works if it, you know what it reminds me of? Um, and I may have brought this up on a different podcast, either this one or ours or something. Um, and and I, I'm going to digress for a second, but it, it makes a point. Tom, you remember when we were in like senior year uh, of film school and like our professor was very big on the idea of like everybody needs to edit their thesis films down, right? The shorter, the yeah. better. That's what we all yeah. got told. 10 minutes yeah. is incredible. 20 minutes is good. Anything longer is bad. But a lot of the films that were being made ended up working out to about 30, 40 minutes, right? And you either had to fight with the professor to keep your film the length it was or do what you're told, be the good boy, get the gold star. I'm not going to say their name. This could be a couple of people, but like there was at least one guy who kept editing his very ambitious film down. And he was very proudly boasting that he got it down to 10 minutes. Despite this movie being 40 minutes originally in its first cut, he got it down to 10. And it made and no sense. That's the thing. He screened it, it no and it was <laughs> incomprehensible. And I remember like feeling, and but I remember talking with him about it and like saying like, I didn't understand this. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand this. And he fully sincerely was just like, well, no, isn't it obvious that this, this, this? And I'm like, no. Because he knew it because he fucking, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, you know that because you've watched this 50 times in the edit bay. 
I don't know that at all. <laughs> I think we can sometimes be a little... Look, I'm not saying test screenings are always good. I'm not sure. saying test audiences are always good, right? Mm. But there are times where you hear people will be like, I, you know, these test audiences are idiots. Like, yeah, you, you kind of maybe need to bring in some people who aren't so well-versed in mythology or writing tropes or anything because you've watched this too many times. Yeah. yeah. You've read this too many times. You and, and Sleepwalkers has the tone of, well, everybody understands what Sleepwalkers are because I know what Sleepwalkers are. And it almost feels like this was a movie where, uh, where, Mick Garris, if he had a question or was confused, right? Like he would call up and go, Hey, Steve, I, I don't know. It's not terribly clear in the script why the sleepwalkers get blown up if a cat scratches them. And Steve would be like, Well, let me explain it to you because if you go to ancient Egypt and you look at this and you look at that, and he went, Okay, got it, and hung up the phone, but doesn't change the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the tone of this film is like that the people making it. We're like, I fully understand what sleepwalkers are, but there's no effort to make us know. But it thinks it expects that we do know, so it doesn't bother to anchor us in the suspense. There's no suspense to I, this movie. Totally. I mean, it, it's it, it's a big old fucking mess. Like it's just it's and and as as much fun as some of it is, and I do agree with you, Tom, that like when the movie's going full tilt, I don't give a fuck it's fun because as an audience member, you can just see that there's sort of a, there's a courage in that, right? There's a, a fearlessness in just trying to be trying to have fun. I would almost but say I'm, shamelessness. I, it feels sure, like a movie that doesn't sure, even know it should sure. be ashamed at what it's doing. Right. So I, I, I mean, I, all that being said, um, let's rate this because I have a question for you guys to follow up after we rate this. I had not seen this film previously. I came into this movie at a, at a, for this podcast at a 20, um, I think I'm sticking at a 20 here. I don't, I don't really have a whole lot of, uh, uh, yeah. And basically 20 is for, for matching. <laughs> I, I had this at, it's not that big a change. Sure. I had this at about a 36. Okay. Um, now I'm at about a 34, which is not okay. that big a drop. Yeah, but the yeah. only reason I note that is that when I was watching this and it made it at a 36, I spent the whole time just going, this is so fucking stupid. Like this movie's very stupid. Yeah. Um, this is irredeemable. And in the course of our conversation, it's not like it made me like the movie less, but now talking about it, I have a lot more. Oh, here's ways that this could have worked. Sure, sure, sure. Whereas before, I think I watched it and went like, the minute you introduce incestual cat demons, I'm out. Now I'm like, no, this could have worked under other circumstances, but sure. Yeah, I'm gonna pop it at a 34. How about you, Tom? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> uh, so I I saw it at some point in the past, maybe high school or college or some point, because I've I've known this movie, I've seen this movie, uh, rewatching it, absolute delight. This is the exact kind of trash that um, I really I really love. Um, I'm gonna be listen. I'm gonna do the objective. Sure, um, sure. The objective rating and only give it a ninety-eight. And only give it a 98. Um, <laughs> no, objectively, I'm gonna honestly, I'm going to give, I'm gonna kind of pull what like a Kenny does sometimes, and I'm gonna give it a 51 because I know it's not <laughs> sure, good. Because sure. I know it's not good, but Classic it's so Kenny. not good. It's so not good in an entertaining way, and there's a lot you can talk about in how it's not good. 
but uh-huh. it's so entertaining and unlike a lot of bad movies you can't even if you're like drinking with friends and like having a party with it it's still not fun like i'm not gonna watch fucking terrifier 2 with my friends i'm gonna if someone says let's watch terrifier 2 i'm gonna say you're i'm calling the cops friends. <laughs> um i'm calling the cops and saying you have a gun um <laughs> But like with this, this is so dopey and fun, and it's like the perfect um, just collision of Mick Garris's terrible abilities as a director and Stephen King's terrible, truly terrible screenplay. Like he's written bad screenplays before, but they're based on shit he wrote already. So you kind of like, all right, something got lost in translation. This way, you just go, what? What were you even thinking when you sat down at your typewriter? and just decided to crank this bullshit out. So you just got this unmovable object and this unstoppable force colliding to make- Just like Batman and the Joker. Yeah, exactly. The the Batman and the Joker. Mick Garris has Joker hair. So this completely tracks. Yeah, he's got very long hair. If you dyed it green, he'd look like a very dapper Joker. Not, you know, he wouldn't be dancing in the Bronx. But um, I listen, and I hate saying it. Mick Garris is such a nice guy. But he's a terrible filmmaker. Stick with producing. But this, yeah, fifty-one is my rating. Right. It's bad, but it's watchable. So it's, it's my question, I, I have, I have two questions for you, and then, and then, um, I'll, I'll bring up what we're covering next week. But the question I have is, oh, I have one thing to note as well. But you do your questions. Oh, first, great, okay, okay. Uh, favorite Stephen King book. Favorite Stephen King adaptation. Okay, go. Um, so I'll go first because sure. I, because Tom is a much bigger King head than I. So I think he needs more time for that. Sure. Um, my favorite Stephen King book is it's probably either Carrie, I think is the best book, right? Okay. I think like, I look at that and I'm like, it's just something that feels like a mini, I use this on our show a lot, but it feels like a mini miracle how it comes together. Sure. Um, the very first dark tower book, the gunslinger is one okay. I'm partial to. Okay. It's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, but it is one of the only King books that I've read more than once because I find it just such an enjoyable, oh, okay. fascinating world that, speaking of mythology, it balances mythology really well. In terms of King adaptations, uh, that's a bit trickier in some sense um, because I don't necessarily like some of the ones that a lot of people love. Sure. Uh, I mean, it's not a good adaptation of the book, but it's a great movie is like something like The Shining or something like that. But if mm-hmm. we're talking like, that also connects to the book. I think I maybe have to go misery. Uh, Cause it's great movie. Yeah. You know, just, yeah, that's, that's one that stands. I mean, Carrie's great too, but like that one really stands the test of time. Tom. Uh, so for me, my favorite book um, is the stand, the, uh, the expanded mm-hmm. version with sure. all the added stuff where it's over a thousand pages. I think it is easily his masterpiece it does everything he does best and every it's just uh, i think it's a a miracle of a book uh every character is great every twist and turn is great um it is very prophetic it feels very much like it could have been written yesterday the way the world has kind of reflected the book he wrote um but if i'm gonna say uh, i'm gonna also say like if it's like a book connected to a larger thing i'm gonna say the dark tower part seven is also up okay. there because i can't say like it's the best book. like you can't just go in and read it because obviously it's the seventh book of the, but it's just such a pu- perfect culmination of that weird wild wacky story where it you never know where it's going to go he never knew where it was going to go every book he wrote he came in like i don't know what it's going to be but each book's different than the last but it all somehow ties together 
um there's, and there's a few points in that book where it made me cry and i'm not the biggest crier you know it, there's some stuff where he just has these Damn. emotional payoffs that are just so fucking great um so yeah the stand and the dark tower seven are my my books uh my go-to books uh and in terms of movies i'm gonna say i think objectively the best is probably shawshank um it's just i mean that's a movie like you know if it's on it's it's on until it's over like you're not walking away from the screen um it's a miracle of a movie um and kind of funny in you know context with sleepwalkers and everything um the 90s was not a good time for Stephen King adaptations. We got Shawshank, and I know you guys don't like the Green Mile, but like it, you know, Green Mile got an Oscar love and stuff, and there are fans, yeah. me included, but they didn't make money. Like, you know, he the Stephen King stuff in the 90s didn't work, and he started getting relocated to direct a video and TV sure. and shit. It wasn't really until the remake of it kind of blew everything back up. And you had that, and yeah. Flanagan started doing stuff where King kind of mm-hmm. came back. Um, but if I had to say my favorite, uh, I just rewatched it because a 4K disc of it came out, and I think it's The Mist. I think the honestly, I think The Mist is such a fucking. I gotta rewatch it. I just I saw it, and obviously everyone knows, you know, the ending is just like fucking brutal and awful. <laughs> oh yeah. But I just it's the Thomas Jane of it all that I'm just like I, just, I, I think just, I just don't like that guy. <laughs> I oh, think Phil Phil off mic. We okay. will tell you some Thomas. We, we have encountered Tom, uh, and we have. Ooh. I think I th- listen. I think Thomas Jane's a hit or miss when it comes to shit. But I think, yeah. I think Darabont got the he he knew exactly how to use his energy for this role, and especially with how the ending plays out. I'm not going to spoil it for people. Well, I, yeah, no, yeah, he, I know the end. Makes, I've seen the movie. No, but like he makes a big mistake. Because yes. everyone talks about how brutal the end of the movie is, but what the brilliant thing about the ending is, it is the ultimate plea to never give up hope. Because if that fucking guy just held out hope for another five seconds, he would not have made this horrible mistake. And yeah, you believe this guy, you believe Thomas Jane making that mistake. Yeah, I should watch it again. It is, it is definitely one of, I mean, I just... Darabont is just one of I, it's funny because like as I mentioned earlier saw Shawshank watched it with a bunch of friends at my place the other night and it's just like there's kind of nowhere to go from there for Darabont in a weird way like right out of the gate you make this fucking masterpiece of a movie whether you like it or not I just feel like you make this kind of enormous thing and then it's like you know I know that there are people like Green Mile it's not really my well, he tries to like, do it again you know, Green Miles yeah. is trying to do Shawshank again, and Majestic yeah. isn't a King thing, but it's got the same tone. Right, and but then that's it's why the I mist, think, and then it's but like, that's why hey. I think that, but that's why I think the Mist is such a great move for him, is because he's not in Shawshank mode. He's not. In, he's that's not. True. That's true. He's not itching for awards, love. He's no, making sure. a mean, gritty fucking movie, and especially again, like I said, it with the stand. You watch it now. This yeah. movie came out in two thousand seven. It feels like it was made post Trump. Where you just go, oh, uh-huh. well, if it was made in 2017, you'd be like, okay, this is didactic. This is very sure. obvious. Okay. In 2007, pre-Obama, you go, sure. oh, this is an interesting view of the world. Okay. And now I'll you watch it. it. Yeah. Fuck, he, he got the world. He saw shit coming. Sure. He knew what was on the horizon. So, yeah, uh, Shawshank and The Mist. I will also, um, special shout out to uh, Gerald's Game. 
Oh, uh, sure. That is a movie that shouldn't work. Everyone said it's an unfilmable novel, and uh, Flanagan kind of pulled off a real magic trick with that movie. Had to bring up Flanagan because Mike already brought up Reiner. And sure. So you know. No, that's fair. But what about what about you, Phil? Stephen King. Well, movie. I, I mean, listen, uh, Stephen King movies. I mean, I'm hard pressed to to think of anything that that works as well for me as Shawshank does. Um, it, it's just it's. And again, you know, watching it the other night and seeing sort of the way that it's structured as a screenplay of all of these like wins and losses and wins and losses and the way that it's kind of compounding hope against the hopelessness is just pretty unparalleled. Um, So I I really do think it's a a tremendous movie. I really love Stand By Me. I watched it relatively recently for a for a, a double bill patreon episode and and was really kind of floored by it all over again just in terms of you know no one <laughs> stephen king's love of dirtbag kids just like yeah. fuck is just is really kind of unparalleled <laughs> like there's no yeah. one that loves just shitheads more than stephen king oh yeah he and loves I, his and it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing and again like sort of this gaggle of really sweet big-hearted kids that are all kind of dealing with their own bits of trauma paralleled with just this group of just you know fucking dirtbag shithead assholes that are just it, it's i really do think that possibly no one understands the darkness and the light of the human psyche as well as stephen king does yeah um and i think to your you know you made this point very early on mike in terms of like if if we were able to sort of harness him a little bit better, you know, if he was able to harness himself a little bit better, like reading about the fact that like he had the idea for 112263 like 30 years ago or something like that, like truly, you know, was this thing that he kind of re- and same with Under the Dome, even though Under the Dome may be less successful, but like of him really sort of mining away and making it a fucking diamond before it comes out. Well- I think is something he should do well, more. Well, yeah. that's why since that book came out, he's been on another incredible run. Yeah. Every book since he's he's written that book that's what I've heard. has yeah. been great. Yeah. Has been, you know, at the barest of minimums, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is really good. Maybe not his best, but it's really sure. good. From I mean, I literally to... have, I have fairy tale on my bookshelf. I have Holly fairy on Tale's my bookshelf, really which I'm excited Holly's to read really as well. Good. So Billy like, Summers is is great. I've heard Billy Summers is great. Even too, so. even though it's so funny, you can just tell he was watching Barry and said, <laughs> "Oh, I can, oh, I can do that." It's so it's so fucking clear too. It's so funny that ha- how it's just Barry, but his version of it. And you're just like, "Oh, Steve, I love you." You're just watching TV <laughs> in your main mansion, and you said, "I could do that," and he did. It's it's really fucking good. Um, so, also, on so shout out creep show. Mike, you mentioned that you wanted to bring something up. Well, before, I just want uh, to. Yeah, it's not about sleepwalkers, but it is about us. It's about this whole show. It's about everything, if I may. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, obviously, like I alluded to, last time we were on, things got tense. Things got a little tense here. Uh, you know, uh, and I've had some people ask, like, you know, like, oh, are you guys good? And I've had some people ask, like, are you still coming on for season four? Which I, I believe you are. Last I certainly talk, hope so. Happening. I think we know what film, but I don't want to lock it in yet. Um, until we talk off mic. I don't want to say it now. Yeah, yeah we'll talk like, off Actually, mic. fuck yeah, that. Yeah. But I think we know what it is. Um, but obviously, like, this was a nice moment of healing. This was a nice moment of getting back oh. together. But I, I do think 
Bill, there is, I, I do ask a little bit of extra atonement and, and I'll explain what it is. Um, this is going to be, this is currently uh, my first year as a member of the Writers Guild, right? Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I have decided that there is an appropriate oh, no. way for for us to make peace here for, you know, a bit of a mea culpa. Uh, so I want to make it clear on Mike, Phil, that the way that we're going to make peace and break bread is um, much like the way that a, uh, a, a confused elderly parent asks their child to explain the internet or how do I get to the next line on Microsoft Word. I want you to know, Phil, every time I am confused by a digital screener, every time I am confused about how any of this award stuff works, you are getting that's your that's it. You are you are getting every confused email. And we're then good. I think that's I, our and that and then we're good. We're all every the air is completely clear. That. Just know you're going to get me going. How the fuck does this Amazon MGM <laughs> Roku app work? I have to put in a fucking code every time. What yes. is this? What what does that mean? Does it can I put it on more than one screen? What's the deal with this? You're going to get every this, one though, of those emails. I I listen. I I welcome them gladly. Uh I'll That's say that, that it is it's well maybe. It's it is the the interfaces for all of these passport screener apps are all kind of garbage. I'm so um it's all kind of a mess. And I'll also say too that you know it's funny. I got I've only received one physical screener thus far this year. I think we got the same one. Air, baby. Yep. Amazon's just like yep. just everyone's like you're getting air. Fine. Um <laughs> So I think that we're going to see less and less physical screeners, which makes yeah. sense because very few people. Have oh, I got the email about the anymore. Go Green initiative where I can opt out of the physical. I'm like, nah, sure, because I like. Uh, so I, I've, it, it's you know, I've been going physically to screenings. I, I'm sure you know where all those are. I'm I'm missing Rustin tonight to do this. <laughs> oh well, I I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I I so I do my best to try to go to the physical screenings when I can because I just prefer to see them on the big screen. But yeah, please bring it. You're getting them all. Getting so all next week questions. on this podcast, we will be covering unlawful entry. Have you guys seen Unlawful Entry? No, I just thought it'd be uh, really funny if you described, you were like, well, next week, and then you just named like one of the greatest films of all time. Oh. <laughs> As though to just rub salt in the wound. No, no, I, I, I'm not a total dick. Have you not seen Unlawful Entry, Tom? I'm a little surprised. I have not. I have not. Do you know what this movie is? Do either of you know what this film is? Um, no. Is, it's is, one of those fucking like psycho-like relationship Is it Judd right? in it? Is this a Judd? No, unfortunately, there, so the, it feels the, like the, a Judd from the, the title. It's a Kurt Russell, Madeline Stowe, Ray Liotta. Um, okay, dir- yeah. Directed by uh, Jonathan Kaplan. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, uh, Russell, uh, Kurt Russell, and, and Madeline Stowe are married. Uh, Ray Liotta's a cop who um, they have their house broken into, and he's a cop who like has inappropriate feelings for madeline stowe starts to become stalking them it's really very a cap <laughs> like it definitely is uh, are you telling me you Ray 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 Yoda Yoda is playing a guy i was gonna do the same thing very <laughs> likable <laughs> i was about to do the same thing god damn it we're like an old married couple at this point but yeah i mean Fucking honestly hell. though guys not a great movie, but not a terrible movie either. Like, there's a lot of, as you guys know, 
in sort of the hangover of the 80s into the 90s, we still were kind of still being given like movies for adults, right? Thrillers for adults. And this definitely falls into that category. And I was kind of watching it as problematic as some of it is. It doesn't age well. It's 92. It's post um, or it's right around the LA riots, if I'm not mistaken. So there's like kind of this whole, it's trying to tap into the sociopolitical environment in California and what have you, which it does not particularly well. But this is all just to say that it's still nice to watch these thrillers that were aimed at adults back in the 90s that got theatrical releases. This movie would be a straight-to-fucking-Netflix movie if it came out today. Um, but I highly recommend checking it out. But that's, well, uh, listen, that's, that's... Kurt, listen, Kurt Russell's in it, and legitimately, I can watch that guy in fucking anything. He's one of the most watchable... Yeah, likable fucking presences in yeah. cinema of the last like 40 years big part of you know big part of why i'm gonna watch that godzilla show i mean it's godzilla like i'm gonna watch it's that's sure. my big chunky boy i'm gonna have to watch it but <laughs> Kurt Russell's in it. and my big chunky lizard boy it's a big a big month for the big chunky boy because you got the he's got his own show coming out he he's he got does. a new movie coming out mm-hmm. yeah. um i love the brilliant finally someone did the idea what if Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell played the same character at different yeah. times? No fucking shit. Cast Wyatt a snake already. <laughs> it actually doesn't look terrible. I got to say, like I mean, Apple good. definitely, it actually Apple's like thrown a lot of money, money into it. it. So. it um, well, gentlemen, this was a blast. Um, obviously I have questions for you off mic. So we'll have, we those, went but, longer yeah. than the movie. We did. We did. Oh yeah. That, yeah. It, that um, is, that is perhaps, you know, the, the beauty of, of this, was phil did not have a meeting to run to oh jesus um can you tell our listeners where they can listen to you guys and your amazing absolutely so uh right now uh unless this episode gets released many months from now right now we have three complete seasons of our podcast so uh you're missing out is a show about the national film registry uh every year the library of congress selects 25 films to induct into the national film registry films that are either culturally historically or aesthetically significant they've been doing this for i think this is gonna be the 35th year of the registry's existence in jesus when they come up this class um and what we are doing tom and i and you know usually with a guest um we are going through every single film inducted induction year by induction year um if you are a fan of this show you'll uh, especially enjoy it because uh it is just tradition at this point that the first episode of every season is phil which is insane. Uh, that, that but I appreciate it. I'm flattered. But it's every insane. time. First, um, the first episode is Phil, and it's always about a crazy broad in old <laughs> 40s Hollywood. Well, no, but well, like, only two that, of them so yeah, far. That was the the one uh <laughs> the, the one thing was was that uh Sunset Boulevard, then All About Eve, then Chinatown, and uh uh redacted, but we we're pretty sure we know what it is okay. uh for this season, which is fitting with all of that. Um, but we we go through that and and we really try and bring folks on who have something to say about the films that make it interesting. Um, this year we talked about Lawrence of Arabia with uh, mm-hmm. Vice Victus, who is an Iraq War veteran, uh, so he could bring that perspective to it. Um, we're always trying to do something interesting in that uh, regard. We've also got a YouTube channel now. If folks want to check that out, not only are the Shit. full episodes in audio form up there and some of the films you can stream. But we also have started to do commentary episodes. So certain films, we actually will sit and record a full feature-length commentary track for. And if you go on our YouTube, if you've ever wanted to watch the Eric von Stroheim film Greed, um, you can watch the entire... Yeah, and it's the entire silent film. But the audio is us doing a commentary track for the film, which is a lot Mm -hmm. of fun. 
it's uh, it's really, I mean, we've been having a lot of fun. We're, we're about to start planning season four. And by about to start planning season four, I mean, literally, when this stops recording, we're going to go, Phil, you're doing this, right? Yeah, good. I'm and looking at the movies the from 1992, which is ironically yeah. the fourth year. Of, yes, correct. Uh, and I, I think I know what movie I'm going to do. I mean, you, you <laughs> called your shot almost a year ago. And I don't know if you remember which one. Probably I, the same one. You called your shot on one, but we'll see if it's if you've changed your mind. Okay, we'll since. talk about it off mic. But I think um, I think yeah, yeah. It wasn't Birth of a Nation. I just want to make everybody it was, clear. It is uh, not that Birth one's of a nation. that one's thankfully sorted out. But uh, you know, congratulations. In any event, yeah, that's um, gonna be fun. Gonna be, but yes, yeah, so people check that out. You can even follow us on TikTok. Um, we there have a go. TikTok where we post like excerpt clips, and weirdly, sure. for whatever reason, Tom performs better than I do on TikTok. If it's Tom a clip of my voice, like, it's funny because yeah, right? as you said TikTok, I was like, Tom on TikTok is mm-hmm. either amazing, like in the sense that he just like totally hits a vein, or just fucking hates everything about it. So it's not a surprise to me that he is a success. It's also oh, this weird don't thing. Don't get me wrong; I have nothing to do with it. Yeah, Mike no, is still. I, as I usual, Mike is doing all the work. I'm not no, doing but, a goddamn thing. It's funny. Tom started out being very anti TikTok. He was like, it's just a bunch of teenagers doing dances and shit. I don't care. And I was like, this could be a new avenue for us. And since then, you know, as all TikToks do, like the For You page just starts to get flooded with a lot more like scantily clad women dancing and lip syncing, which has made me and my estimation of TikTok go down. But meanwhile, Tom is now going, you know what? Maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe this actually sounds like an interesting platform and an interesting <laughs> exchange of ideas on it. Well, here. you know, he sent he sent me one of his tattooed big titted vampire lady. I'm like, you know what? This it is, is okay. No, I feel the only reason that happens is because I keep anytime I go on and they're like, this is for you. I'm like, guys, we just posted a minute long video on the Battle of San Pietro. Why do you think this is for us? Your algorithm is wrong. No, it's, no, no. Like counterpoint. I'm a part of the algorithm. Yeah, that's true. They know, they know what just, they're doing. It is it's just true. funny to like go and like see an R feed and it'll pop up like what Roman Polanski was really intru- influenced by was the French New Wave. If you look at the films of Jean-Pierre Melville, and then you flip up and it'll just be somebody going, let me tell you about my favorite sweaters. And you're like, what's happening? <laughs> the algorithm See, I, is broken here. No, no, the, algori- the algorithm's not broken because the algorithm knows Tom Lorenzo's connected to this video. Boop, 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 boop. We're going to his Twitter page. Find a tweet. Please crush me with your legs, Ray Ripley. <laughs> he has a tattooed vampire lady. The yeah, circle. It's, it's the circle of yeah, life. It's the circle fair. of life. It makes it. Uh, so yeah, uh, check so out So people the show. can catch We're you there. Uh, mm-hmm. They can yes. listen to you on wherever people can find podcasts, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. It's yes. on all the, yes. all the services. You're missing out on National Film Registry podcast. Um, listen to it because it I don't. Yeah, that's fair. Um, thank you so much, gentlemen, for coming on. Um, and uh, was, stick around because I have my... questions for you. <laughs> Fucking pleasure. Sleepwalkers. <laughs> Scream Factory Blu-ray. Buy it now, asshole. Is there a Scream Factory Blu-ray of it? Hell yeah. So I my Blu-ray is just Sleepwalkers packaged with children of the corn. No special features, no nothing. It's just like I mean, that also tracks. Not even joking. Sleepwalkers is by far the better movie in that two pack. Children of the corn fucking sucks and it's it boring. Does. It's really boring. Um, all right. Thank you so much, guys. And uh you'll be back again and it'll be great. That's a threat to your audience.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.